So I'd like to begin episode 64 with a question. Whoa. A question. For me or for the audience? Really, it's just a question. Yeah, I didn't think it was for me. Go it's on. It's kind of for you okay. and it's kind of for everybody. It's just, it's just kind of for all of us. All right, let's do it. What if the NFL overtime rule, instead of saying when a team scores a touchdown, the game is over, you win. Mm-hmm. What if it said when a team scores seven points, a touchdown and an extra point, the game is over, the overtime is over, and you win. What if you had to kick the extra point in overtime on Sunday after the Seahawks scored the touchdown? They had to bring out you-know-who to kick the extra point. What if they didn't win until he kicked the extra yeah. point? Oh, yeah, and since moving it back, people miss him from time to time, including the Seahawks kicker. <laughs> <laughs> he missed – I think he would have missed if they had set him up in the end zone – and and let him kick like a five or ten yard field goal. I mean, I I think if there was such a thing, he might he might have missed that. Would you? How would you have felt oh. if they had to line up and kick an extra point for the game to be other over? Otherwise, Tampa gets the ball one more time. Not how would so you feel good. About it? Not so hot. Oh God. Well, but he did. What is he trying to do? What was yeah. that? It, you know, everybody's going to talk about the two field goals and the extra point that he missed. How about all the ones that he made that just kind of like. Just yeah. bare, he, th- there wasn't a kick that he made that didn't just barely that he didn't just barely make. I mean, it was like cardiac arrest on every single kick. That's the guy that was the Pro Bowler from the AFC sure. that they cut last year, that they brought back, that they gave a big contract to, that they were so excited to have. And now you wonder whether you can rely on the guy at all. He could have been cut at halftime. I mean, honestly, if he would have been cut at halftime, I wouldn't you have been surprised. You almost feel like Michael Dixon on a drop kick. You know that Michael Dixon oh, does yeah, these yeah. drop kicks. Yeah. Maybe that's a better alternative. I, I, I'm certain that they're not going to – I know that there's going to be noise about, will they come in and interview and try out new kickers? And is there going to be a change this week? I'm sure there'll be noise on radio stations and in print about that. My guess is they won't even consider it. It's Even though he's not had a good year, and this on Sunday was just almost – a certifiable catastrophe. Almost, yes. They almost lost the game because of a kicker. A game that I didn't want to say too much about, but when you look at the rest of their schedule, a game now that you look at and you say they're 7-2 and two and they won in overtime, you almost feel like they had to win that game to make the playoffs. We never talked about that before. I kind of hid that from everybody. But I was thinking the whole time watching that game that they had to win that game yeah, it feels like okay, Mitch. They would be six and three if they lost that game instead of seven and two. How do you how do you figure that they had to win that game to to make the playoffs? Here's how I figure it. Okay. Okay. If you if you if you go with me on this, Mister Postseason, which will will be back on the P episode, and we we haven't even started yet. But if you go with me on this, that they got to win ten games. Okay. Let's say they've got to win ten games, and let's say they lost on Sunday to fall to six and three, and people are like, oh God, but they're still six and three, right? They got to win four more, right? Here are the last here are the last six games of the season. You tell me where the four are in this <laughs> if they're six and three. Okay. They're at the Niners on Monday night. They're at the Eagles the following Sunday. They're home against the Vikings the following Sunday. Then they're at the Rams, at the Panthers, home against the Cardinals, which ding, is a ding, win. Yeah, hit the bell. Yeah, that's one. And then home against the Niners. They'd have to find four yeah. wins in that group of six games if they were six and three right now because the kicker 
lost the game for them or the defense or whoever you want to blame. Them. If they had lost that game on Sunday, they'd need to find four wins to get to 10 out of those six games. There may not be four wins in there no, I to think get to 10. I think they're two and a half short out of four. I think they got one and a half they, they, wins. <laughs> I, got, I got this one guy tweeting me. He's just harassing me saying they're not going to make the playoffs. Seven and three, seven and two. They're not going to make the playoffs. And, and he, he's probably thinking the same thing. He's like saying, okay, where are the three wins in those? With the way yeah. they're playing defense yeah. right now, are they beating the Niners next Monday night if they, if they play the way that they've been playing? No way. No. Okay. Are they winning in Philadelphia when they're playing the way they're playing? Probably not. Okay. Are they, are they winning at the Rams when they're playing like they're playing? Doesn't look like okay. it. Are they, pl- are they winning at home against the Niners at the end of the season? If the Niners are out of it. Well, the Niners aren't going to be out of it. They, they will have already clinched everything or they'll be yeah. playing for something. I, this, is a, this is a ball. I mean, these last six games, as it is, you got to win three to get to 10. Yeah, it doesn't look good. Wait, there's no chance the Niners would just rest everybody on that last game? Yeah, they, yeah, um, I'm, yeah, yeah, yeah. If they've already clinched everything. Which I, when you say like they they're will. out of it, I, meant, I thought Sorry. you meant like, they're, like they've been eliminated from the postseason. I mean, they men- won't be out of mentally it. Mentally out of it. Yeah. <laughs> they're yeah. not yeah, interested. Yeah, you might yeah. catch a break there. Yeah. You yeah. might catch a break there. I don't know. I don't know how that works. So the thing Look, about Jason. I, I'm just saying that 7-2 and two feels really good. The number looks really yeah. good, 7-2. and two, But when you start looking hard at this schedule and considering the opponents and really just considering the way the Seahawks are playing defense right now, and now you got kicking problems to boot, to boot. <laughs> I like it. It's uh, it's going to be dicey. I still think it's going to be dicey, even at seven and two, to get in the playoffs. Going to be tough. The way I look at Jason Myers is no one's going to be tougher on him than him, right? Oh my God, no one feels sick, right? So I look at it the way you ever like see like a a restaurant will have like an E. coli breakout and they have to close down for a month. But I always think like, oh, I'm going to go there now because it's now the cleanest restaurant on the planet. As I opposed see. to people going, oh, that place got closed down for you. No, no. Yeah. It's the opposite, right? Oh, I see. There's how you look no at it? cleaner place in the world because okay. they want to reopen. Right. And that's kind of how I, I hope I'm right about Jason Myers. He's going to get it fixed. He's going to dial it in. No one's going to be tougher on him than him. You don't have to worry about but it. He's gonna, but he's, he, he's feeling pressure. I, I don't think there's any pressure. question. The, 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 the kick that he missed at the end of the game, the end of regulation <sighs> from 40 yards God. that he pushed. Yeah. I, you know, I, I, I shouldn't be – I'm not the one to decide this, but that just looked like a flat-out choke to me. That looked like I've missed an extra point already this season. I mean, this, this game. I've already missed a field goal this game. This is the – my team is relying on me. I'm not kicking well. That, that just – that last kick of regulation looked like a choke. And if it was a choke – then you got to wonder when he gets into a game. What if he's in a game-winning situation on Monday night against the 49ers? Is he really going to nut up and, and, and kick it through, or is he right now emotionally kind of a scarred fighter? That, that's my question. You might say, yeah, he'll fix it, he'll fix it, he'll fix it. I don't think it's, I don't think it's anything mechanical that he's got to fix. I think it's going to be now. The question is, can he, can he wrestle up the intestinal fortitude to make a big kick when he knows he's missed a bunch, when he's seen his blood? Yeah. He's seen his own. It's like the fighter who's knocking everybody out. He's never seen his own blood, and then he gets into a fight and he sees his own blood for the first time. You wonder what that guy's like. Jason Myers has seen his own blood. I think he's got the right coach for it, though. Pete Carroll is warm and embracing, and don't worry, buddy, we got you. We're going to go out and do all that stuff and all that good stuff or whatever. By the way, I heard Russell Wilson in an interview. He's turned into Pete Carroll. 
He says the exact same. Like we did a lot of good stuff in the second half. Oh, yeah. it was beautiful. <laughs> that play of the middle was beautiful. You know, all that stuff. I think there are a lot of people that would agree with what I'm about to say. Okay. Russell Wilson can sound like anybody he wants to sound like uh, right about now. Five touchdowns, no interceptions, 370 uh, some odd yards. He already was the top rated quarterback in the NFL, and he throws together a 133 or 134 on Sunday against the the Bucks. So his rating's going to go up when we get to the tail of the tape on. Russell Wilson can say, if he wants to use stuff or chew gum real fast, or no matter what he wants yeah. to do, he can do and get away with. He is just having a spectacular season. I spectacular mean, season. What it, that, some of those balls look like they were just dropped from He's got the, the heavens. You're, you're, you're beating me to the point. Oh, we haven't I? even okay. started. That's, even that's, started that's on the list. All right, gotcha. The touch. You're talking about the touch on those little floaters. He's throwing to like a 5'11 guy, too. And, it, you know, it's not a big Little target. floaters oh. that just drop right into the breadbasket. Do you think it would be fun to be a wide receiver and play with Russell yeah. Wilson? How much fun would it be just to be a, a receiver to yeah. play with Russell Wilson? And plus the plays. You just run around. They're yeah. never over. You, you run your route, and then you improvise a little bit if he busts out of the pocket. And then he throws you. He throws a lot of long balls. I bet you it's a lot of fun. They should have to give a little of the money back. I think some of the wide receivers <laughs> have to give some of the money back. Well, maybe this will help a guy like Josh Gordon. I mean, you know, maybe he doesn't have much Ooh, left. Oh, Josh Gordon. But this this might be the perfect place for him because the guy who's throwing. Well, I got a couple is, of comments okay, for you good. on Josh Gordon. So he, ask me. By the way, was he signed on four twenty? Did I see, wait, at 4.20 p.m., did I see that? It wasn't signed on April 20th. It wasn't April 20th. It was at 4.20 p.m. when it was announced. I don't, I don't know. That would it's be pretty such, awesome. Yeah. All right, Josh Gordon, what do you know? No, hey. well, let's start. Oh. Can we start the show? We oh. haven't even started. This started is the, the tease. Show. All right, sorry. Easier to be a fan of the ballet than a football fan after uh, Sunday's heartbreaker, almost heartbreaker, yeah, heart wrenching performance. I had that thought. If I was like, if the Seahawks are going to lose this, it's just another awful football weekend. What am I doing with my life? The dogs easier. Oh, I think my tweet was after Sunday's game against the Bucks. Easier to be a fan of the ballet, and I hope that the next time I'm there, Jason Myers is in it. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. Yeah, the Huskies, uh, Huskies at five and four, three home losses. Oh, my God. What a we'll dis- get there. Yeah, right. Oh, God. Yeah. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Mitch Unfiltered. I like Podcast Addict. If you're an Android user, we want you to rate us. Give us some five-star rankings or send us a note to Mitch at MitchUnfiltered.com. We want to hear from you, the audience. This is episode number 64. I'm not sure that you realize this, Hotshot, but uh, we're not so lazy that we only do one show a week. Oh, okay. we actually do. I actually do four shows a week. You do two shows. True. A week, yes. Right. I do four shows. The second show this week will be on Thursday. It'll be called 64 P. And I know that people are now asking. We're now into the 10th week or ninth week, whatever. What about Mr. Postseason? Mr. Playoffs twin brother? Because yeah. Mr. Playoffs has been retired mm-hmm. by a certain radio station. So, yeah, Mr. Postseason and tail of the tape for the remainder of the year. I'm making the proclamation right now. The tail of the tape and Mr. Postseason will be heard every single patron episode for the remainder of the year. Both of those segments will be in the patron shows. And the reason before everybody starts having a conniption of, but I don't pay the $5 right. and that's shit, Mitch. Yeah, and yeah. The reason is because I can't do, you know, obviously tail of the tape. I can't do Mr. Postseason or we can't do Mr. Postseason until the week 
and Monday Night Football is yep. done and the week is finished and I, and Mr. Postseason can then sit down with the Excel spreadsheet and start figuring out percentages and all. That can only appear on a P episode Thursday. Sorry. Just a scheduling thing. That's, that's it. A, that's yep. all it is. It's not like, oh, here's Mitch trying to trying to make us become a patron by putting Mr. Postseason yeah. on the patron shows. I don't mean it that way. I can't believe you know how to use Excel. That's impressive. I'm really, well... <laughs> <laughs> I want to be careful what I say. Right. There's some people out there that are unbelievable. I yes, love, there are. I love Excel. It's really a great program. I love Excel. The reason I love Excel is because I find it. It's like I'm a math guy, mm-hmm. numbers, I'm an algebra and, yeah. gra- guy. I'm a math guy. I love trying to figure it out. Yeah. And when I figure out a new way of doing something, it's like, yeah. it's, it's like a better. A, it's better than a bowl of pasta, and I love a good bowl of pasta. I made it 44 years without using Excel, but now that I have to use it Do for my use job, it? yeah, it's awesome. Do you like it? It's have great. you figured out some of the? Mechanics and the no, not really. There's guys you probably haven't scratched the surface. So many, so much better than me at it. But I mean, I can create an equation and do all. You that. know who the best kind of normal person, if you call him normal, that I ever <laughs> saw use Excel? Kind of not a non Microsoft guy. I mean, I'm sure that they're they're experts out sure. there that yeah, teach yeah. classes. It's a former quarterback, a oh. former a former longtime Patriot. Cowboy Bronco, Bronco yeah. quarterback. I bet he's good he's at it. Yeah. Unbelievable with Excel. Yeah, yeah. It's a cool program. He's it's great. great at at um, bearing quarterback kids. If you want to say that, or, <laughs> yes, he's good at that. Uh, and he's also good, very good at Excel. All this, right. This has been nerd talk on Mitch Unfiltered. Thank you for tuning <laughs> he's in. He's amazing. He taught me a few things too. Oh, nice. Uh, he never taught me how to throw a football, but I think I taught him. Uh, Brady Henderson, Rick Neuheisel, thanks to Fireside Home Solutions. Steve Phillips, the baseball. former GM, our baseball guy yeah. on the World Series, on Great. free agency, on the Nationals, on the Houston Astros mess. He's got a lot to say about everything. He'll be on this episode 64. And Mike DeCourcy, you may or may not recognize that name. I love Mike DeCourcy. Just, just the fact that he's on this show means something very special to me. Mike DeCourcy is a college basketball broadcaster and writer for the Sporting News and the Big Ten Network and now Fox. And when Mike DeCourcy comes on the, the podcast, what does that mean? The start of yeah, college, college basketball, basketball season, yeah. one of my favorite things in the whole wide world. Excel, pasta, <laughs> and uh, college basketball season. All right. I saw a comment about Zion. I want to talk about later with you. Okay. Put it on the. We're gonna do. We're gonna do the typical segment. One will be Seahawks and dogs. Yep. Then we'll do four interviews, and then what I call the other stuff segment, which is my favorite segment, by the way. I even announced it on Twitter. My favorite segment of the regular shows with you is the, the what we call the other stuff segment. The last segment it's of fun. the podcast. It's a fun. Yeah, it's fun. fun to just segment. burn through some fun. And stuff. I often yeah. wonder to myself. How many of the listeners actually don't ever get to the final segment? That they never hear the other stuff segment? I which s- makes me kind of sad because I think we laugh and have more fun yeah. in the other stuff segment more than any other segment. I sat by a dad at my daughter's game today and he yeah. said, yeah, I have trouble getting through the whole thing. Yeah, I was like, oh, I don't want to hear that. <laughs> I don't want to. Come on, man. You can make it through. Just- well, no, he doesn't have to listen to the whole thing. That's he can true. just, you know, pick and choose. Right. Yeah, what are the chances you're going to like all of it? I mean, come on. What maniac would like the whole thing? What are the thing? chances you're going to like some of it? All of it? <laughs> right. But the other stuff segment is a fun segment where we just kind of go crazy with yeah. other things going on. Are we going to name the show at some point today, too? Yeah. I can think of 164. We haven't started oh, yet. Oh, sorry. All right. Well, I'm all just right. saying I can think of one this time. Okay. I have something to contribute. Okay. <laughs> Listen, Hotshot, for as long as Mitch Unfiltered is up and running, I'm going to tell you the sponsors that made this episode 64 possible, like Zeke's Pizza. 
with a brand spanking new location, 17th to be exact, in Woodenville on 135th Avenue Northeast. Whether it's at home with Zeke's door-to-door delivery or one of their 17 spots, sports pizza, craft beer, with a true blue Northwest company. I'm telling you, an underrated spot to regularly watch the Seahawks, the Huskies, the Cougars, or anyone else. Zeke's Pizza, homegrown in the Northwest. Daniel's Broiler, you know by now about the latest addition to the Daniel's family of world-class steak houses downtown in the new Hyatt Regency right near the Paramount Theater perfect for a dinner date before the show the king of special occasions we're closing down the Rick House Whiskey Bar on November the 11th this coming Monday night for a Monday night football viewing party Seahawks and the 49ers Daniel's Broiler on special occasions world-class steakhouses the Kirkland office of Guild Mortgage in the last few weeks I've heard from a handful of listeners that they've spent time with Jordan Flowers or some some Guild Mortgage team. I want to thank Luke for reaching out on Thursday to let me know that he's now saving a boatload of money with the Kirkland office of Guild Mortgage. The cost is seven to 10 minutes on the phone, and that's it. 425 250 3150. An Evergreen Golf Call, a premier wealth manager in the Northwest with offices along the West Coast and the originator of the Evervestment.com program that caters to those of us that don't have the wealth that many of Evergreen's clients have but still want to grow our money. Check them out. Evervestment.com. That's E V E R V E S T M E N T.com. Episode number 64. Let's get it going. Right now. Unfiltered. The Seahawks are not getting by all these teams unless all of a sudden all these individual talents that we know that they have start playing. I guess that's the pipe dream. If you want to know what the pipe dream is, is that we wake up in four weeks from now and Ziggy Ansa is on fire and cracking quarterbacks and all of a sudden fumbles and turnovers in there and they're stymieing people and they're shutting people down and they're giving up 10 points to certain opponents and and all of a sudden all these guys come together i think that's the pipe dream unfiltered nba stars they don't play all the games anymore because 82 games is way too many games for an nba star to play so we have to rest them just so that by the end of the season we keep them fresh the la clippers spent 500 million dollars or whatever on Kawhi Leonard but now their investment they 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 feel like okay it's been four games he needs a break he's gonna DNP dash load management I don't know what I'm more disgusted with the fact that a, a player can't play 82 games or that we're calling it load management Mitch is unfiltered we begin episode number 64 great so now you can uh, take a look at your list yes we have to name it at the end of the show it's very very difficult did you know a guy by the name of kyle ben huskies husky starting center from 1999 to 2001 Ooh. he won number 64 that's episode Kyle Ben. How does that? Does that have a good ring to it? That's I hope not. Deep cut. <laughs> a deep cut on the album. How about right there? episode J.R. Sweezy? Ooh, he's Did still playing. Like, yeah, I think he's what, it, the Cardinals. Yeah, maybe? I, th- I just remember seeing him against the Niners. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I think he might have played. He might play episode. No. no, no. Well, then there's one other, and that's it. That's it. Yeah, I won't tell you who the one other is. So you don't have. Well, I don't want to say it if it's. I don't want to ruin the surprise if it's the guy. I'm, there's I, an old Seahawk. But now nah, he wasn't that great. That wore 64? Pretty sure. Go ahead, because it's not going to be named after Seahawk. But I thought that J.R. Sweezy wore 64. So what about 
A guy named Ron Essink. Yes, he wore 64, and I don't know who he is. Okay. But I remember seeing him on the list of Seahawks oh, that really? wore 64. Yeah, okay. I don't know. Yeah. Who is he? I'm just the guy who played in the 80s. I don't know. I just really, I don't. That's the only one I could come up that's with. That's before but, my time. Yeah, I don't think he was that me. good. That's right, I am. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no tacos because Russell Wilson threw five touchdown oh. passes. They couldn't run it in. This is a tough team to run against, so they didn't run it in. So no tacos at taco time. But let me tell you something. That is not going to stop me. I promise you that. I am still going to be there on Tuesday. I am still going to order ahead. I don't know which one I'm going to go to. It's always kind of a surprise. Which one am I going to go to? Big moment for you. That's a big day for you before you have to decide and everything. Decide on Tuesday which uh, which taco time. I will be there uh, with bells on, having my normal Tuesday lunch at taco time. But none of the tacos are going to be free because there were no rushing touchdowns. How many times have you gone to taco time on a Tuesday for the free tacos so far this season? Oh, I think it's the same amount of times as you've watched the Forza Racing Championship, I think. I'm not sure. I'm not sure how, why we compare. The, <laughs> well, the, that's just two kind of crazy things to put in. Uh, is that right? Why not compare I don't, it? I don't know. I don't, those, why, they, they, you don't want to support your friend, <laughs> the guy that sits here with you? You can't tune in once and give us a free view? Wait, no, wait a second. It's Yes, yes. I, the, the one thing is me supporting my friend and his yeah. other job that he's never asked me to be a part of as an announcer. <laughs> All right, I forgot you're a racing expert. And the other yes. thing is me asking you to support something that does the show that you're on. Yeah. I think I, I, I'm what? having trouble connecting the Taking free two. food from our sponsors is supporting them? <laughs> Jesus, I'd yes. rather go pay. Yes. <laughs> All right. Yes, it is. I'll do my best to be All there. right. Do you want me to start with good or bad after the 40, what was it, 40 to 34 win for the Seahawks? I think last time we started with bad, and that, I think that was my choice, but then it felt like it just sort of brought everything down and the good sort of meant nothing. So why don't we start with the good? Just we all, we should always way. start with the good when they yeah, win. Yeah, okay. And you start with the bad when they lose, and they won 40 to 34. And I think the good is pretty obvious to everybody, and I think the bad is pretty obvious to everybody. So I don't know that... You know, but Brady Henderson and I will discuss in the next segment uh, all the good and bad as well. But Russell Wilson, would you say that's good? Oh, man. 29 of 43, 378 yards, five touchdowns, one huge run that ended up meaning nothing because the kicker missed the kick. But a huge run at the end of regulation to get them into field goal into field goal range. We've talked about it before. When you see him running, you know something's on the line, right? Like, it's it's game time. He doesn't run unless he has to. It's so cool to Already see. Already the highest-rated quarterback uh, at 115 coming in. That's going to go up because he had a 133 rating on Sunday. Jeez. Just, a, you know, just superhuman, fantastic. We talked about it in the tease section of the, uh, of the podcast. The floaters. You kind of beat me to the punch. Yeah. The touch on the floaters. The ball just kind of drops in most times right on the money. To a short, like, 5'11". I mean, it's like... Well, I, not I, always short. DK's not short. Yeah, but some of those ones to, to Tyler lock Lockett. it. I yeah, mean, it's like... Just he's not like a big target. You're not no. throwing to Altoon no. or somebody who's 6'6". And he's six, not six. wide open normally. <laughs> right. He's kind of open, Most right? quarterbacks would go, well, he's covered. Yeah. Russell throws it. It somehow falls in his it's arms. beautiful. By the way, Tyler Lockett. I mean, if... Okay, we'll go right there. All right, go ahead. 18 targets. When was the last time... Has Tyler Lockett in his life as a receiver from peewee football to where was he? Kansas State, I think. Kansas State, the Seahawks. Has Tyler Lockett in his life ever been targeted 18 times in one game? No. 18 targets on Sunday against the Bucks. He hasn't been targeted 18 times in his own house by his wife. <laughs> All right? Eight, 18 is definitely the most. But he's like a number uh, one guy. Like, I think he's proven to us, right? He's a number one receiver. Because we weren't sure. In this we, offense, he is. Right. I don't know that in a lot of offenses. But the way they, the way they run routes, the way that their kind of um, philosophy, their offensive philosophy, 
I think, yeah, he's a, he's a number one target. He's, he caught 13 of the 18 targets for 152 yards and two touchdowns. But we talked about at the beginning of the year, we weren't sure if, if he could do it. Right. Because Baldwin because we, was gone. We thought he would maybe attract the best corner of the opposing team. Right. And let's see if he can do it on Monday night against number 25. You think 25 is going to check Tyler Lockett a little bit? Now, yeah. I don't know whether they do that in, in San Francisco land, whether they move him around to the just to the yeah. best receiver, or do they play him on a side of the field? Like for the, forever, just about ever here in Seattle, he played the defense's left, the quarterback's right, yep. and it, it didn't matter which receiver came over there. That was his side of the field, and he and, and I used to complain about I used to grumble about that. Well, yeah, people would give him crap about how can you be the best cornerback in the game when you only right. play one side of the field. Well, it wasn't his choice, obviously. Right. But I would I would I would grumble about that because I would I would think that you would want to take the teams the other team's best receiver out of the game, yeah. and if they can just simply send the best receiver over to the left to avoid Richard Sherman, then what good is that? But the Seahawks' philosophy as a defense was always we want him on one side. So. I did see Sherman choke on a tackle that was pretty funny. Did you watch much of that game? It was on no, Hall- it's Hall- Halloween. It was on I was Halloween. answering the door. Yeah. Oh, yeah? Yeah. And yeah. I was closing the door and answering it again. <laughs> closing the door and answering it again. Yeah. I actually, if the kids, when I open the door, if, if I'm the one, if the wife goes to the door, she doesn't do this. But when I go to the door, if I open the door and they don't say trick or treat, then I say, okay, let's try this again. And I close the door. <laughs> it's very Mitch of you. I mean, Jesus. God. You can't just give out free candy to kids. You got to put them through a whole thing. I just want them to say trick or treat. All right, fine. All. They don't even have to say thank you. They don't have to say happy Halloween. Yeah. They just have to say trick or treat. And I, and I say, well, hold on, hold on, hold on. Let's try this again. What well, do you say? And then I close the door, ring the doorbell, and then I open it like I'm surprised. Oh, look at you. You know, the whole, I do yeah, the whole yeah. thing. I go through the whole show. Uh, sir, it's a my, whole show. My daughter hasn't spoken in five years. She has some sort of disability. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to get that one of these years and then really feel like crap. Uh, <laughs> so you didn't watch much of it, but he really, it was a play that was like a, I think the other team. Yeah, he whiffed. It was great. It was on a touchdown. Oh. It was on. He, no, I didn't see it. Uh, it was kind of nice. I don't know why I'm rooting against him, even though I love oh, the guy. I there's mean, a lot of reasons to root against. Him. Yeah, I guess. I saw him lighting up his teammates and getting furious, and I don't know. You're gonna be rooting against him on Monday. Yes, that's for I sure. Am. DK Metcalf in the good column. I'd put him in the good column. Six catches, 123 yards, made made some huge catches down the stretch. That big third down, right? How about the? And he was being interfered with, hands face. to the face, the whole thing. The pacifier the big, went flying. Yeah, pacifier <laughs> went flying. God. He stayed in bounds somehow. Great game for DK Metcalf, and he continues to, it looks like he's, he's really got traction, becoming a really good receiver in the league, and that's great. Well, we talked about, I, I think I said once to you that he looked really fast, and you said, I'm not so sure he's got blazing speed. He looked effing fast on that play. Which he play are we talking about On now? his long touchdown that he had. It was like a 59-yarder or something. Okay, the long touchdown. He looked fast. So, I don't know. I mean, to me, he looks fast, but you're not sold yet. No, I th- no he obviously is fast. He ran fast in the combines. He's fast. Yeah. I mean, I, I think what happens is when a big guy's fast, he doesn't look to me as fast as a little guy does. Does that make sense? Yeah, because the that legs are moving A little, a little guy runs a 4-3-40, and then a big guy runs a 4-3-40. The little guy looks faster, even though they're the exact same. That's yeah. that's what I'm saying. All I, right. I don't know. But I thought the play of the game, the play, the underrated play of the game that he made that, again, turned out to not matter. I thought it was going to matter, and I thought I was going to talk a lot about it on this show. Do you remember the play at the end of regulation? So in the end of regulation, they're tied. They got 45 seconds to go. They got the ball with one timeout. They should have had two timeouts, oh. but he blew a timeout after 
after Arians had already taken a timeout. Don't get me started on that. Well, that's one of my questions for you later. Don't get me so. started on that again. Clock management and timeout oh. management. But anyway, they had the ball 45 seconds to go, right, with one timeout. Do you remember yep. the play that I'm talking about? They're trying to get it in. They throw him a ball across the middle, kind of across the middle-ish. Yeah. And he catches the ball, and he stops and pushes and, and just pushes their defender aside. It looked like it was going to be a six- or seven-yard play on oh, that. Oh, yeah. He pushed him aside, and then he went on for another 15 or 18, 20 yards and got out of bounds. Yep. I thought that was a magnificent play by DK Metcalf. That was going to set up the game-winning field goal, which, of course, the guy missed. It's a great example of using— That was a great play by him. Using that all that extra muscle that he's put on his body. Yeah. It mattered there, didn't it? Well, it mattered in, in such an unbelievable amount of ways because if he gets tackled right there, think about the difference. That's a six- or seven-yard gain, and then you got to take a timeout, your last timeout of the yeah. game. You got to take it instead of six or seven yards and you having to take the last time out of the game. He throws the defender aside and then runs another 15 yards and gets out of bounds. I mean, it was just a magnificent individual effort to put them in position that set up the Russell Wilson run scramble, which put him down to the 30 of the 25. And I'll, you know what happened from there. So I'll give Chris Carson. I mean, uh, DK Metcalf. I'm getting to Chris Carson. You got your boyfriend on, on your brain. I got Chris Carson in both. The good and the bad. Okay. Yeah. 16 carries, 105 yards, had the big, long 59-yard carry. You got to remember, this is a Bucks team that had yeah. not allowed one, really one good running back to have a good day all year. You and told he, me that last week, so I was number really Number one defense against yeah, the run. With his 105 yards. That's so impressive. it was good. Hard earned. And he caught, a, he caught, he juggled one uh, on a catch and made a good play for 15 or 20 yards or whatever. So there was some good, obviously, there were two big fumbles. The one fumble, maybe you can excuse, on the 59-yarder when the guy slammed it out of his hands from behind. You saw that coming and went out of bounds. Yeah. But the big fumble that almost cost him the game was the one on the sidelines. Yeah. Just an awful fumble. Again, I know that people around the Northwest were like, get him out. He fumbles. He's got... Really? I mean, you don't want him in there. So you, you're not willing to live with that fumble for what you get. You'd rather Rashad Penny get those 16 carries? Are they a better football team with Rashad Penny getting the right. 16 carries? No, yeah. Rashad Penny never fumbling is not better than Chris Carson fumbling, if that's what you're asking. That's what I'm asking. Yeah. No, I agree with you. So I'm going to put him in the good and the bad. Um you want to put Bobby Wagner and K.J. Wright in the good because they both had double-digit tackles? Yeah. I have trouble putting any member of that defense in the good. Bobby Wagner you could put in the good. He, he had that stupid personal foul, oh, which was ridiculous. Early in the game. Early right? in the game, but yeah. he did have, what, the one of two sacks, which was yeah, really big. I think the other sack was a gift because he just lost the ball out of his hands. I think that went down as a sack. Oh, is that where the other I one came from? I think that's the other sack, but okay. he did have the sack. He came right it up was the big. middle. Yeah, it was big. big. Bobby Wagner's a player. He has to be in the good. KJ Wright, you want KJ Wright in the good? Yeah, I like yeah, KJ Wright's having a great year. I know they're all they all they're played all, well. All but these <laughs> defensive players are having a great year, and yet I keep watching the worst pass defense I've ever seen. I know I don't get it. Okay, uh, I'm going to give you my final good, unless you have another good. Do you have any other goods? Uh, uh no. Okay. I, I was looking. I'm going to give a good. I got to give a good. I got to give a shout out to somebody that I take shots at all the time. Okay. And I think he was a, an amazing good on Sunday against the Bucks. I have one more after this. I'm sorry. Right, go you ahead. go first. Jacob Hollister. He was pretty good. Yeah, caught that ball. Two touchdowns. Did he have two touchdowns? Yeah, he had the, the game winner. I know he had the game winner, but yeah. I don't remember. Did he have he, another He had another one, too. Yeah. Jacob Hollister had four catches for 37 yards, two touchdowns. Okay. Was on the practice squad at one point. Yeah, got, okay. Didn't make the roster. Yeah, yeah, put him in there. Love it. Put him and in Luke there. Luke Wilson, two catches, 20 yards. I know you don't care about Luke Wilson. Josh Gordon's coming. 
Josh Gordon's coming. And I say that, I know mm. you're talking about tight ends, but yeah, Josh yeah. Gordon's coming. Okay. And I think Josh Gordon, what Josh Gordon is going to give them until he gets thrown out of the league for marijuana use, and it's just a matter of time. <laughs> Jesus. Oh, come <laughs> on. Guy a maybe, little, uh, maybe he's learned his lesson. Oh, come on. Okay, fine. Well, what are the chances that he's going to stay square the entire year? He's got Russell next to him. They're at Bible study. You know, he's a good influence, okay. hopefully. Okay. I'm well, optimistic. What they're going to give him, and I, and I didn't get to my last good, but yep. what he's going to give him is over the middle. Go back and look at his highlight film from his 40 catches last year with Tom Brady. Okay. I know that Josh Gordon at one time in his career was kind of an outside guy who was a deep threat, really fast, really big, kind of DK Metcalf-ish, mm-hmm. you know, just a freak, a freak of an athlete who could get down the field. And he, I'm sure he still can get down the field. But the way the Patriots used him, if you look at his highlight reel, is they used him over the middle. They used him in Will Disley areas of the field. Interesting. That I think... The Seahawks are lacking since Disley went out. Now, maybe Hollister is okay, and maybe Luke Wilson's okay, yeah. and the type, whatever. But I think what, what Josh Gordon gives them, starting hopefully on Monday night against the 49ers, is that middle of the field guy, the guy that can go down the middle of the field, slants, little slants to the middle, slants from the, from the slot, go down, turn around. I think he'd give him a big body, a big body target. In the intermediate passing game, like eight to fifteen yards down the middle of the field, where Will Dis, where he used to throw to Will Disley, that's what I think Josh Gordon gives him. So you're not suggesting that they're going to line him up at tight end, but just kind of no, that that no, no. area. Yeah, yeah. he's going to work that area of the field. I like it. I like it. That's what I think. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe they're going to now move Tyler Lockett, I, and I don't know the percentages, but maybe he goes to the slot entirely, 100%, and they put Josh Gordon on the outside, and he's in the slot. But I, I, I don't think it really. What I'm saying to you, I don't think it matters where Josh Gordon is when he lines up. Let's watch where he catches the ball. He could line up on the sideline for all I care. But if he works the middle of the field where he used to throw to Will, where Russell used to throw to Will Disley, let's watch to see where he makes his catches. I think I think they're going to be on the middle in the middle of the field. I hope so. I I hope he has something left, and I hope he's fast and can still get in and out of routes. I hope he's got something left. We'll see. Uh, My last good before we get to the bad, and the bad is pretty obvious, I think. (laughs) It's been the bad for nine weeks. two pretty obvious bads. Um, I want to give a good to the offensive coordinator of the Seattle Seahawks, who's the much maligned offensive coordinator. I always – I'm the first – Whoa, where am I? Brian Schottenheimer. I thought Brian Schottenheimer called maybe his best game – as the offensive coordinator for the Seattle Seahawks. He called a great game. And maybe this is a, a, a more for episode 54P on Thursday, but I'm noticing a change in how they approach these games. I am, I am sensing a change. Now, they would never admit to what I'm about to say, but I think I'm seeing something. And what I'm seeing for the first time, which I kind of like, is the Seahawks are going away from the philosophy of here's what we do, we're going to do what we do, we don't care what the opponent's strengths or weaknesses are, we like to run the ball, run the ball, run the ball, play action, Russell, but we like to set up the run and be a great running attack, right? That's mm-hmm. what, that's been the Pete Carroll way, and they haven't kind of gotten off of that depending upon what the opponent's strengths or weaknesses are. I think going into that game on Sunday, and I, I can tell you, I think I saw it against the Falcons, in Atlanta, but I think going into that game on Sunday, it was clear to me that the Seahawks knew the Bucks' reputation as a run-stuffing team. 
Three point something, maybe 3.1 yards in attempt. Number one I, in the NFL. I thought it was three flat. Maybe it's three flat. Yeah. Number one in the NFL. Right. It seemed to me that the Seahawks identified that and they said, okay, then we're going to come out of the gate Play action, throw, 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 throw. We're gonna we're gonna start the game. Throw, 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 and then we'll start mixing in Chris Carson later. As opposed to doing, I think two years ago. Now Schottenheimer, I don't know whether he may not even, but I just think the Seahawks way two years ago in a game like this would be like, we don't care that they're number one against the run. We're just gonna come out and run the ball. Right. We're gonna come out and run the ball. As Force I our my wheel fist. upon them. And yeah. we're gonna do what we do better than than they do. We're gonna challenge our guys to be better. And I think to almost to a fault. But now I see him go into the Falcons game. Remember what I told you on tail of the tape? The Falcons were the worst pass defense and worst third down defense in like all the NFL and maybe historically. Yeah. They came out throwing the ball to take advantage of that. Right. I'm seeing kind of Taylor making offensive game plans considering what the opponents do good and do do well and do not so well when I never sensed that they did that in the past. That's my that's my sense of what's going on in terms of philosophy. that makes sense to yeah, you? Yeah, totally. I, I don't know if Schottenheimer would agree, or I don't know. It, they it, probably would never agree to what I'm saying, but, but whatever. Let's say they had truth serum, and they were going to tell you the truth. Do you think Schottenheimer would still come out and say, well, no, we just like to force what we do on people, and we never got creative or looked at the other team's well, weaknesses? Well, some, I'm just curious what some of the truth is in the pudding. They are running. They're not running the ball in every game. They're not coming out and establishing the run at the beginning of games every yeah. game. I mean, you've seen the last two or three games where they've come out throwing the ball. That first drive was great for them. Great. After they had given up just in the easy <laughs> seven to the other guys. You have to always ruin it, don't you? All right, are we going to get into this team's defense at all? Or are, are you done talking about it? I mean, uh, I can stop. I mean, I can stop before I start. You can just listen to last week's and the weeks before. <laughs> it's 63, 62, 61. It is an horrific pass yeah. defense team. And it's two parts. Everybody wants to just talk about the pass rush. And I'm obsessed with the pass rush. It's not just the pass rush. And yes, the pass rush is terrible. And I can't understand why. Maybe it's just that Ziggy Ansah has nothing left. Yeah, maybe. Maybe he is just a shot fighter and he's out there and we're thinking of him based on his reputation and his history as opposed to really what he is now. And that's nothing. Maybe Jadavion Clowney is what he is, which is, yeah, in sparks and moments, he's really good and really good against the run, but he's just not a great pass rusher. Maybe that's just what he, maybe Jaron Reed's year last year of 11 sacks or whatever it was, was just an aberration. And he is what he was when he came out of Alabama, which is a run stuffing defensive. Maybe we just... Have it all missed. It doesn't make any sense. They are a terrible pass rushing team, a terrible pass rushing team, and they're not very good at covering either. Okay, guys are Mike Evans. Yeah. You watch the game on Sunday. How many times did their receivers catch balls and there was no there were no cover men even in the frame of the picture yep. they're running sl- how about the slant that set up the game tying touchdown at the end where he took a ball down the t- was anybody even covering? he just he just he just went out and in and he was wide you know the play i'm talking yeah, about oh yeah that he went down to the two yard both line? of them kind of bailed or on the play like that no one, one was guy stayed in the flat yeah. the safety was back deep and he just i mean they, their coverage we can talk about how bad of a pass rushing team they are for, until we're blue in the face and it's true their pass coverage shack Shaq's had a good year. He's getting better. He didn't have a good game on Sunday. He's a good and like number Trey two Flowers, corner. Trey Flowers was terrible on Sunday. Yeah. He was terrible on Sunday. It was the Jameis Winston has never had an easier day 
than he had on Sunday here. Now, tell me what's wrong with that, that me saying that. Right. Jameis Winston came across the country with his offense, and he had the most, the easiest, he hardly was touched. He threw the ball whenever he wanted to. His receivers were wide open. I mean, it was just simple. It was like pitching catch football. It was like it was like playing against air. That's what the Seahawks defense looks like against the pass. I'm sorry. That's that's the way I feel yeah. about. It. I mean, am I wrong? Is anybody seeing something that I'm not seeing? No, it's hard to argue if you look at the stats too. By the way, can I have a quick complaint about Shaq Griffin? I don't know if you noticed this. He makes a big play on third down. And then he like lays down, puts his hands behind his head because he was like celebrating. Yeah, and then they all got down next to him. Didn't, didn't other guys come yeah, down yeah, and yeah. lay down with him? Yeah. That was on third down. Okay, the Bucks went forward on fourth and then picked it up. Can we maybe not celebrate until we get off the well, field? Well, I think there should please? be a well. I think there should what be a rule. Doing? I think there should be a rule that you're not allowed to celebrate at all <laughs> in any game where you're the worst pass defense in the history of the National Football. That's right. It's like being in the I, NBA. I think, yeah, there must be. There got to be some rule about that. Yeah, like in the NBA, if you're down 30 and you have a big dunk, you don't then get to celebrate because your team just got their ass kicked. So yeah, I'm with you. Until the defense gets better, there shouldn't be a lot of celebrating. Is it going to get better? Yeah. Well, I, I didn't even look. Would LJ call your play or we? Just, yeah, he played. He played. All right. Judging by your face, there wasn't a whole lot there. No. So what's going to happen against the Niners? Well, that's the one thing that you might have going for you. There are certain teams that are going to be able to take advantage of this weakness more than others. I mean, say what you want about Jameis Winston. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers came into the game on Sunday with two receivers that were tied for first and touchdown receptions in the NFL. They had the number one and two, and they were second and fourth in receiving. They had good receivers. They have good receivers. They have a good passing game. Bruce Arians is a good pass pass game guy. So, yes, the Buccaneers have had what it takes to really to really kind of take advantage of this weakness. Uh, you know, the 49ers, yeah, Grappolo has, has had a good um, – he's had a good couple of games, but they're not dynamic at wide receiver. They went out and got Emmanuel Sanders. George Kittle is fantastic. He's tight a great end, yeah. ca- pass catching tight end. But I don't look at them as this awesome set of receivers and pass attacks. So maybe, maybe they don't have the elements to take advantage of the Seahawks' deficiency. I don't know. I don't know. But when they run into when they run into good pass teams, unless something changes, they're in trouble. Yeah. Yeah, that was rough watching Jameis Winston make every pass and just guys wide open like James wide Winston. open wide open. Mike yeah. Evans oh my god why Mike, Mike Evans made a lot of money on Sunday against the Seattle Seahawks I went back and watched it and I, you see the play where he got his foot stepped on like his ankle got yeah, stepped on on the, on the touchdown yeah and they put up his stats he was like limping around and he had yeah. seven catches yeah and I was like he had five more after that with a, with a bad ankle half the time he was Jesus. on the he was on the sidelines taking plays off with that ankle <laughs> right then he'd come in they throw it to him and nobody be around like, like they catches. weren't even covering him yeah. yeah yeah anyway rough but the end result is a 40 to 34 victory. You are 7 and 2 heading to San Francisco or Santa Clara to face the 49ers. Unfiltered. Houston finds him wide open this time. Hunter Bryant hurdles inside the 10 and in. Touchdown, Washington. What a day for Bryant. On third and eight, Huntley looks to throw. Out of the backfield, it's Moss. One man to Utah bringing pressure. Easton throws an interception. Jalen Johnson down the sideline. All the way. Touchdown, Utah. 
Utah 33, Washington 28. Okay. Huskies. You're going to have to help me out here. I was stuck at an airport in Ontario <laughs> watching as much as I could. My flight was canceled, so help oh. me. I, I know they're 5-4, and four and I'm wildly – I can't think of a more disappointing Husky team in a long time. Five and four, three home losses. Two and four in the conference. That's good. That's good. And everybody throwing their, their, their hands up. Look, they had another, another second-half lead like they did against Oregon. This time it was eight. Uh, less than the Oregon lead, and and then Jacob Eason threw a terrible pass off his back foot for a pick six, and everything changed. From that moment on, the game was completely different. And what everything that Washington had done well to that point, they just started doing poorly. And Utah just took over the game, shoved it right down their throats on a couple of last drives. Horrid fourth quarter execution by the Huskies. Uh, can't get off the field on third down third and 12 third and eight third and six third and goal didn't matter Utah kept converting on third downs and they just went through went through the the Huskies and the Huskies that was it okay good talk what's the next topic <laughs> well there's more there's more there's more talk I, about I, I heard the announcer at one point I he's, he went through like a list of receivers that were hurt for the Huskies were guys like getting banged up or not playing a lot or? of people getting hurt yeah um some real some real puzzling personnel decisions like they came down the field they were they were two scores down they needed to score a touchdown and then get the ball back and they came down and they had this like 20 play drive okay and they kept on but the time was of essence they're two scores down time was of essence they were down I guess what was the final score of the game the final score of the game was 33 28 so they were down 33 21 around 33-21, and the time was getting away from them. And yet they kept on, like, making substitutions. And when you make a substitution, that means the defense is allowed to make a substitution. And what's happening while all this is happening? Yeah, the clock's moving. Yeah. The clock's moving. They, they, they seem curiously not, like, in a hurry. Like no sense of urgency. There was no sense of urgency on the final drive. So, uh, it, Actually, the second to final drive. And they put themselves – they were actually in a position where – they could score and kick the ball deep. You know, you know when, when you're clock managing, what you're trying to do in a situation like that, you understand, you're trying to not only score, but you're trying to score and not have to kick the onside kick. No one wants to have to kick the onside kick, right? Yeah, Isn't that your, your number one goal? Let's not only score here, but let's hold enough time outs and let's have enough time on the clock to where we don't have to kick the onside kick. We can kick it deep. Call a timeout after first down, second down, third down, get the ball back, right? They called, a, they called a timeout that they shouldn't have called after a sack. Eason got sacked instead of spiking it. I think it was after a sack, but they, they called a timeout that they didn't have to call. They could have spiked the ball and stopped the clock. They could have scored a touchdown and been able to kick the ball deep with three timeouts. But instead, there was no sense of urgency. They didn't use the timeouts right, and they were forced to kick the onside kick, which was a bad onside kick. Okay, because I got this text when I was on the plane from a friend. What coach in their right mind calls a timeout first and goal down two scores with two minutes left and three timeouts? F. Peterson. So I didn't. Now I kind of understand well, what you're his, talking about. You know, this is this is something that we've talked about a lot before. That people write about and talk about too. He's a great coach, but he's not a great clock manager, timeout manager, late in games and late in halves. Now he would bristle at that. Yeah. But you know, and it's funny because I I was frustrated. I was sitting watching the game myself, and I was tweeting at the same time, and and it just it's just crazy to me that that so many college coaches don't have a grasp of the obvious, which is when you have the ball and you need two scores and you have the ball, 
what's the most critical timeout of your three timeouts? There's one critical timeout that you try like the Dickens not to take. And which timeout is it? Well, you don't want to take one around. Not around. Which of your three timeouts? Oh. The critical timeout mm-hmm. in a college game where there's no two-minute warning to stop yeah. the clock is the first timeout. Oh, you want to go as long as you can without you using You want to try to do everything you can to, to conserve all three because once you take one and you can't stop the clock after an offensive, all offensive plays that come out, that forces you into the onside kick, the, 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 the must answer. Oh, do you understand gotcha. that? Yeah, yeah. You, the, the, and, and college coaches don't get this, that they've got to do everything. They've got to try to do everything they can without calling the first timeout. As soon as they call the first timeout, well, then you might as well just burn the other two at some point because you're in an onside kick, a right. must onside kick situation. Does that make any totally sense? Totally makes sense, yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah. But, but you see this, t- and in the NFL – the NFL, outside of the two-minute warning in the situation, it's actually the second timeout that's the key timeout. You want to have two and the two-minute warning. Right, for three. So you, right, for yeah, three. Yeah, yeah. So you don't want to take that second timeout. Gotcha. You want to make sure that you keep the two timeouts and the two-minute warning because that allows you to kick the ball deep if you want to and call the timeouts on defense and get the you – don't, you don't have to kick the onside. You follow what I'm saying? This yeah, may no, be too, just, Is this minutia? This is probably minutia for everybody. Nobody really cares. No, I just that. don't know why this isn't on the job requirements when you hire a head coach. You know how there's a job description? Oh, my God. All the qualifications you got to have. Why is this not part of it? It's, He's the head coach of a Division One program. He, he, doesn't, he doesn't have it. He doesn't uh, – uh, Chris Peterson doesn't have it. As a, as a, as a, as a result – all the Husky fans have thrown up their hands. And they're blaming Jacob Eason, which I don't agree with. Yeah. They're saying he shouldn't go, he should come back, or, you know, good riddance, let him go. One guy tweeted, you know why he should go? We don't want him anymore because he didn't make the Huskies his first choice. He went somewhere oh, else. God. So let's get rid of him now. I mean, people are just, like, totally irrational. Wait, Husky fans are being irrational? Yeah, Is that Husky what I'm fans hearing? are being completely irrational. Oh, weird. Okay, yeah. go on. And I, I I look at this team, and, you know, does Jacob Beeson have good pocket presence? Probably not. Does he st- Is he still learning? Yeah. Is he not fleet of foot? Does he not get out of trouble very well? Uh, fair. But he also throws a hell of a ball. And I look at... I look at everything else going on on this team, the wide receivers, the drops, the linebackers, if you want to call them that, the defense... <laughs> I mean, I look at all of this, the coaching, the coaching. Right. And you know what I, you know, my conclusion is that he's the best part of the team. Right. He's not the problem. He's not the problem. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Is he perfect? No. Is he making mistakes? Is he making costly mistakes? Yeah. But for the most part, if you go back and look at each game by game by game, he's the best thing they got going because everything else sucks, including, I mean, this is the worst coaching performance by the Peterson staff since they got here. Now, I'm not telling you that he's not a good coach. I'm not telling you that they should fire him. I'm calling it what it is, okay? He's a great coach who has had great success, and hopefully he'll have some great seasons. But we all have bad years. I've had some really bad years. Oh, is that right? Oh, yeah. I've had some really bad years, okay? okay? We all struggle from time to time. He has not had a good year. He and his coaching staff have not had a good year. They're as much to blame as anybody else. Now, there's also some recruiting issues, or you've got some guys playing. All right? I'll give you another one. I'll give you another one, and then we'll just, we'll just stop for now. We'll get to the interviews and the, the, the other stuff segment. Okay. I'll give you another one. I mean, this is just a little thing. You realize that this guy, if he goes out, 
a lot of people are saying he's going to be a first-round draft choice. Now, I think that the, the decision, if I was his dad, I think the decision is very simple. Let's find out if we're really going to be a first-round draft choice, anywhere in the first round. If we're going to be anywhere in the first round, you're a little bit older than normal because you had to sit out the year. We're going. We're going for first round. We're yep. taking the money. We're going, and we'll learn whatever else we have to learn in the NFL. If I'm told that he's a third or fourth rounder, then I think the, the, the decision is pretty simple. We're going to come back. I know I'm a little older, but we're going to come back, have a good year, and scouts are going to love me when I have a good year. It's, it's just a matter of time before that guy's – if that guy's not a first-rounder now, he will be. He's got the measurables. He's got the yeah. arm. He's going to be a first-round either now or, or then. Remember that but, weird but, science? But, but, remember that they put all those parts to get, to get the perfect woman to come out? He's, oh, Kelly LeBrock? Ah, yeah. Oh. But he's like the perfect-looking quarterback, right? You got the arm strength. You got the height. Without, got... without the foot movement, yes. Yeah, but like physically, like oh, you're saying. Yeah. Yeah, gonna, he is going to be a first-rounder right. either yeah. now or later. He's going to be a first-rounder. And I would just tell him to go when that is. But but I, I but I, I bring this up because of this. And this is just a little thing that may or may not have any impact. But this is, this is the coaching thing that I'm talking about. You realize that... He split reps. He hadn't played college football in two years. He split reps all the way through spring, all the way to like the week of the first game with a guy named Jake Hayner. Now, I don't know much about Jake. Do you remember Jake Hayner? I remember him splitting reps. Yeah, yes. I was curious you remember why he, he wasn't He then left the when he was not named yeah. the quarterback? Yeah. Okay. Is he available? Look, look. No. no. Well, here's what I'm saying. <laughs> okay, I'm say, saying something else. I know. Okay, let me ask you a question. Are you telling me not? There's no disrespect to Jake Hayner. I don't even know where he is right now. He's in the portal? Is he somewhere yeah. lost in the transfer portal? Maybe he is a great, great, great quarterback. But you're telling me that you couldn't look at Jacob Eason, this first-round talent, and identify a lot earlier that he was your quarterback and have him take every single re- – is it possible – I'm just asking this question. Is it possible that what we're frustrated about with him – would be better right now if he had taken every rep in spring ball and in practices up to August 24th when they named him the starter. Are you telling me they couldn't look at him and say, he's going to be our starter, let's give him – he had to split – he was standing on the sidelines for half the reps up to August 24th. Is that, Was that a good coaching decision? Yeah. Could they have been better? Could he have been better? Would he be further along right now if he had gotten every rep? I don't know. That's just another thing. That's interesting. But would Peterson say he was kind of posturing a little bit because he didn't want Easton to think he just is going to hand him the job? You think there's any of that? Well, if he was, look at to try to make him better. Are you kidding me? Uh, Is that what's going to make him? Come on. Chris, I would I say, I, I would say, I would say Coach Pete, what's yeah. making him better? The posturing? Is that the psych? You're talking about the psychology. That's right. Yeah, yeah. He's playing a little psychology. You have somebody nipping at your heels. This yeah. is not going to be easy, yeah. big boy. So we're going to take away half of your reps, yeah. and you're going to be better. With less reps, half the reps because of the psychology game, as opposed to just giving him the reps right. and letting him become a more advanced quarterback to start the season. I don't know. Yeah. Again, that's a good point. Focus- I forgot about that. We're focusing on Jacob Eason. He's the quarterback. Right. Yeah. Not the problem. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm looking at receivers dropping balls. I'm looking at co- coaches that didn't play young receivers for the first half of the season. I'm looking at linebackers that can't make a tackle, and I'm wondering who are those linebackers anyway. I'm looking at inexperienced defensive backs that may be good someday but are not great in coverage. I'm looking at I'm looking at a lot. I'm seeing a lot. I'm not looking at Jacob Eason.
That, I'm just not. I'm yeah. not looking at Jacob Eason. There's a chance that season ticket holders for the Huskies could sit through home losses to Cal, Oregon, Utah, and the Cougs. That could all happen this year. Those four are going to really hurt for season ticket holders. I mean, there's a good chance the Cougs come into Husky Stadium and win, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. They lost I think, to Cal. I think there, I think there is. Yeah. I, I, don't, I don't know that I think that all that's going to happen, but I guess a lot of it's already yeah, happened, so th- it doesn't happen. Three's already, yeah. I mean, like, the teams you hate the most, Utah, yeah. Oregon, I mean, yeah. Cal. But, yeah. And then the Cougs are going to come in, and you could lose to them. Yeah, rough year. A lot of blame to go along. Yeah. A lot of blame to, to go, go around, around yeah. to go around. And um, it doesn't mean that they can't be good next year. I don't know who these quarterbacks are. I, I think that uh, I think yeah, it, it feels to me like and maybe I'm just listening to Sean McDonough, but it feels to me like it doesn't matter whether he's a first, second, third round quarterback. He's going anyway. That's what I, that's what mm-hmm. everybody's kind of whispering that it's not it doesn't even matter what he hears which I think is a mistake. Hopefully he'll hear first round. Hopefully he'll get drafted in the first round. And I think for, a, you know, in, in a large way, I, when I watch him play, I actually think that he might be a better pro than he was a college player. Because I, I don't think, I think college players need their feet a little bit more. They can make plays with their feet and their athleticism and get out of the way. And, and they're playing against college defenses so they can move around. I think when you get to the NFL, you're, you, you, a guy like that, if you don't have like, like, like superhuman athleticism, you, you got to be a pocket quarterback. You're going to be a pocket quarterback. I don't think he has to be as mobile as maybe he has to be on the college level in the NFL. So I think he's going to be made into a, 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 a Tom Brady step-up-in-the-pocket pocket quarterback, traditional pocket quarterback. Less creativity. You don't have to be in the NFL, you're saying. You just drop back. You know the guy's going to go seven out, throw the ball. No, I'm talking about it with his feet. Escape. No, n- you don't have to be Houdini. Okay. If he gets in the right situation. Now, if he gets rushed, yeah. he doesn't have a good offensive line, we'll have to wait and see. All right. Three, uh, four good interviews? Four, all right. On episode 64. And you sure they're all good this time? I mean, I think they're through them. Uh, one's all right. <laughs> all right. No, good. I think they're all good. Good. I think they're all good. And then we do the, the fun other stuff segment. I am full of fun and ready. Okay. Let's do it. So, Hot Shot, how does a piping hot slice of the Pacific Northwest best pizza sound Right about now. Currently, I'm eyeing the Buffalo Soldier Ranch Base, Buffalo Chicken, Mama Lil's Peppers, Fresh Jalapeno, Gorgonzola, Cilantro, and all while enjoying, you'll not only be supporting the Northwest Homegrown Pizza Company founded in Queen Anne in 1993, but one of the biggest reasons why I was able to get on my feet and make this podcast possible. Zeke's Pizza, celebrating the adventurous spirit and natural affinity for craftsmanship that makes the Northwest great. Their dough, made every morning, Finney Ridge Kitchen, delivered fresh daily to all 17 Puget Sound locations including the new one in Woodenville every pizza hand tossed when you order it if you want to watch a Huskies or Seahawks game with fabulous pizza and a craft beer or two it's an easy call Zeke's Pizza homegrown in the Northwest unfiltered Wilson on second down to the end zone touchdown Tyler Lockett Unreal. North fan back of the game. As Wilson fires downfield, it's Metcalf who makes the catch. DK Metcalf takes it in for a Seahawks touchdown. 53 yards. On first to goal to Kumba Wale in for a Buccaneers touchdown. 
down. This is for the win from the left hash. Myers from 40. This kick is no good. Wide to the right. Second and goal from the 10. Wilson fires. Hollister. Touchdown. Beautiful job going 10 plays, 75 yards to win the football game. The value of a game like this is so important. Um, with Russell back there, it don't matter. You got a chance. You got a chance no matter what's going on. He played phenomenal football today. It was an array of passes and concepts and principles. It was really, really exciting to see our guys pull all that together. Uh, we ran the football some uh, against the, the best rushing defense in the NFL. Um, of course, we had a big run by Chris. Tyler Lockett is ridiculous. He's so he's so good. You know, 13 catches today. We're fortunate. We're all fortunate to be watching these guys. These guys are good football players, and they're, they're playing their hearts out for you. And really excited about about getting it done. I often say on these podcasts, it's easier to be a fan of the ballet than to be a football fan. I mean, look what happened on Sunday to the 12s around the Northwest. We had to endure Brady Henderson. We had to endure Jason Myers, the pass defense, and all that came along with a thrilling overtime victory for the Seattle Seahawks over the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I guess the final was 40-34. to 34. Uh, Are we subscribing to the theory all's well that ends well? Is that what we're doing? Yeah, I think all's well that ends well might be like an alternate saying for Pete Carroll to go along with, you know, what he always says about you can't win the game in the first quarter, second quarter, third quarter. Uh, you know, Tyler Lockett even sort of made a joke post-game Sunday that, you know, sometimes you can't win the game in the fourth quarter. You had to win it in overtime <laughs> like the Seahawks did. And, um, you know, we, we've seen throughout the years that, you know, Seahawks games, for whatever reason, uh, they're often not for the faint of heart or the weak of stomach. And sometimes you might just be better off watching, uh, in, you know, skipping the game and just reading about it or, you know, checking the, the, the game, you know, score on, on the website once it's over just because those can take some years off your life. And that game Sunday was no different. Are they a fraudulent 7-2 and two? or is that too strong a word, Brady? I, I think that's too strong of a word. Um, and I say that because they have Russell Wilson playing out of his mind. Um, and that can go a long way, and that can make up for a lot of deficiencies like we keep seeing. Um, that game Sunday was, was no different. You know, the, the way that their defense got carved up by Jameis Winston, um, you know, he entered that game, I think, with the 26th best passer rating in the NFL. He had thrown tied to the league high with 12 interceptions, um, and that Seahawks pass defense just made him look like, a, like an above-average quarterback, um, you know, basically until they, they finally forced that turnover late in the game. Uh, with the pressure from Michael Kendricks, that was really the only mistake that that uh, the only costly mistake that they forced him into. Um, certainly, you could look at some of those throws that maybe he got a little lucky on uh, that first touchdown, which I think was bounced off of Marquise Blair's hands. Did a couple other deflected passes, but um, that was just a game that that Jameis Winston had way too easy of a time. And again, it goes back to I think the lack of a pass rush which has been a story all season long for that defense. How many weeks are we going to say the same thing, that the opposing team's quarterback had too easy of a day? And, and I know that we, we center on the pass rush, and I'm, uh, as I always say, I'm obsessed. You say hashtag obsessed with the pass rush. I think it's more than just the pass rush. There were receivers running wide open in the Seahawks secondary. Even Shaq Griffin didn't have the best day. I mean, Mike Evans, how many times – 
if you would hit the pause button when Mike Evans caught the ball from Jameis Winston, if you would hit the pause button, how many different times would you have seen really nobody in the screen? How about the the the, the one play on the slant at the end of regulation to set up the game tying touchdown for uh, for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers? Nobody even in the in the vicinity of Mike Evans after twelve or thirteen catches. Is it going to get better? We keep asking this week after week. Does it figure to get better? Or is, in the words of Dennis Green, are the Seahawks exactly what we think they are? They're just not a good defensive team, not a good defensive team against the pass. Yeah, it, it, it's sort of hard to say with any confidence that it's going to get better just because, for one thing, um, you know, the quarterbacks start to get better. You know, not that Jimmy Garoppolo is an all-pro, but – He's gotten that team to eight and zero, and by the way, they had a brilliant play caller in Kyle Shanahan. Um, and you know, you, you mentioned all the receivers that were running open uh, Sunday at CenturyLink Field. You know, I wonder. Part of that, look, with Mike Evans, you know, sort of like Julio Jones last week. That those the best receivers in the NFL. They're going to put up some numbers, uh, no matter what defense they're going up against. And I would wonder, you know, all those open receivers that they had. I, I wonder if maybe that's a. a, a a scheme issue and maybe if they're just not you know calling the right plays or um whatever the case may be more so than guys just getting beat um you know we did see trey flowers had that that pi early in the game um and shaq griffin he had a long day certainly covering uh mike evans he also had that pretty big pass breakup uh late in the game so um but yeah it, i think it's going to get harder from here on out and, and it just underscores the point that they need that pass rush to heat up and take some pressure off of that those young guys in the second uh, and we're not taking trey flowers off the hook i mean I, I mentioned Shaq just because he's had a a very good solid year i think an improved year at that cornerback spot but trey flowers was as a victim victimized as much as anybody else on the seahawks team uh, you mentioned ziggy ansa i mean i again they won the game, so I feel like I don't really want to be too negative and ask too many negative questions, but they're just on my mind, and it's my, my nature just to ask the question, are we, are we slowly tippy-toeing up to the point where we're going to come to the conclusion that Ziggy is just a beaten-down physical guy from all of his injuries in Detroit and his offseason because he just, you know, he's just not making much of an impact at all for the Seahawks. Yeah, I, you know, I, I really have not seen a whole lot. And, uh, you know, I think he had that one sack in the Arizona game, the final play of that game. Um, he's, he's been active, so I don't want to say he's totally been a non-factor because you see him playing hard. You see him sort of in the mix in a lot of plays. You just have not consistently seen the pressure there. And, um, you know, I, I will – I will still say that that is a deal the Seahawks should have done 10 times out of 10. When you talk about a guy with Pro Bowl potential, getting him in May for the deal that they got him on, I think it was, um, yeah, the, the, the numbers escape me, but it was something like $5, 6000000 million guaranteed. That's a flyer that it, any team should take. And, um, you know, he still has, what, seven games to, to really start to make an impact just have not seen it yet for whatever reason. Brady Henderson is brought to you by Fireside Home Solutions. Football season is absolutely fireplace season, especially now. What a perfect time to check out Fireside Home Solutions and see what your options are for a brand new fireplace that could revolutionize your home. All right, Brady Henderson, I hate to have this conversation. No talk show host, nobody in the media ever wants to have to have the conversation about the kicker. But we have to have the conversation about the kicker. First, before we get to the conversation about the kicker, this will give me a good sense of into your kind of your personality. When when Bruce Arians called that timeout and Jason Myers was lining up, what was it, a 40-yard field goal at the end of regulation, having already missed a field goal, having already missed an extra point, 
if you watched on TV, you looked through that helmet and through that face mask, and you saw a face that was not reassuring. If I had, <laughs> if I had asked you right before he tried the 40-yard field goal, make or miss, what would you say? I, I would have said make, but I would not have been willing to put any – I would not have been able willing to put 25 cents on it uh, just because you certainly have to w- wonder about the guy's confidence after missing an extra point. Uh, and I think it was a, a 47 yarder earlier in that game. And, um, you know, he's, I w- don't want to say he's been bad this season, but he has not been uh, the consistent, you know, Stephen Hauschka guy that, that the Seahawks used to have there. Uh, and by the way, you know, I've mentioned this before, he was kicking into the open end of that stadium, which tends to be a little more difficult. So, um, you know, we heard Pete Carroll really volunteer. He didn't, he didn't, nobody had to bring it up. He volunteered his support for Myers in his opening remarks Sunday and um, saying that, you know, they're going to count on him to, to kick game winners in the future. And like, really, what else is he going to say? And not only, you know, I've always thought, A, it's really counterproductive for a coach to, to rip a kicker um, for, you know, a few missed kicks. When you think about how fragile those guys' psyche can be, you know, but also the Seahawks, let's face it, they don't really have much of an alternative. Jason Myers is in the first year of a fifteen-plus million-dollar deal, wow. uh, four-year, fifteen-plus million-dollar deal with seven million in guarantees. Wow! Um, it would be too prohibitive for them to move on from him right now. Um, so, really, that—that's that's all that Carroll could say. Well, think about what you just said, though. You wouldn't bet twenty, and I'm quoting you. I'm quoting the great Brady Henderson of ESPN, ESPN.com. I'm quoting him. I wouldn't have bet twenty-five cents, is what you just said, on a forty yard field goal 40 yard field goals in 2019 are a dime a dozen forget the 25 cents they're they're supposed to be simple especially a four-year whatever how many millions of dollar guy if we can't if we can't if we're not willing to bet 25 cents on a 40 yard field goal how good is the guy well part of that is i'm cheap for one and i'm saving <laughs> up uh for a down payment on a house so right. you, you got to give right. me a break there. okay but yeah i mean it, it, Part of that is just the fact that you know he had missed an extra point and a 47-yarder, and that is a very pressure situation, yeah. not to mention following a timeout where he was iced. So yeah. um, that, that's a tough kick. By the way, just for the record, not to, not to lop more onto him, the ones that he made, the extra points and field goals that he made uh, on Sunday, they were barely – they they were they, it was really really uh, really really close. So you say there'll be no they're not going to be bringing in kickers this week to try out new guys to replace Jason Myers, right? We can put that away. Well, I you know I think the teams do that. I think they might do that. They certainly won't make a big show out of it, and, and probably won't want it to be known. Just because again, uh, you're sort of messing with the kicker's confidence even more, or you risk doing that even more so than you already have. So uh, you know maybe they do that just to kind of have a short list of guys that they might call if things really get bad. Uh, I don't think they're they're in any danger of making a move right now, though. All right, give me uh, a quick observation on some good things that happened on Sunday. The superlatives. I think you and I have. Neither one of us are very bright guys. I don't know that we have enough vocabulary. <laughs> we we've used every adjective we have on Russell Wilson, but five touchdowns, 370 yards. He's throwing that little floater pass that drops out of the sky right into the bread basket. Uh, he brings him back at the end of regulation. Uh, Should have won it at the end of regulation. It doesn't matter. The guy misses the field. He brings him up the field in an overtime. It's just amazing. The guy is just uh, having an all-world season. Do you have any other words you want to use to describe him? I I mean, I think you also have to look at it's not only – he basically didn't only lead those two game-winning drives or what should have been two game-winning drives, 
he had that touchdown drive on their third to last possession when he hit DK Metcalf. You know, I think I, I added up the numbers. I think he was nine of 13 uh, for like 160 yards and two touchdowns on those final three drives. So oh, not only oh is God. he playing really well, he's playing really well in the clutch, uh, like you saw him do on Sunday. And, you know, it, it seems like every week, uh, or almost every week now, you, you can have the debate of where does this game rank among the best that we've ever seen Russell Wilson play? Um, and I think, you know, a big part of that is Tyler Lockett. And you could also ask, it seems like uh, every week or every other week, was that a better throw from Russell Wilson or was it a better catch yeah. by Tyler Lockett? Yeah. And, um, you know, I think you've got to start asking, where where does that combination rank among the best quarterback-receiver combination in the NFL? Because I don't know if you could name – two others, three others that are going as well as those two are right now. All right. Tyler Lockett, 18 targets on Sunday, 13 catches, 152, two touchdowns. DK Metcalf needs to be uh, discussed. He had an unbelievable game, six for 123, big catch down the stretch, falling on his back, staying in bounds. He was also interfered with on a couple of plays that he made catches. So he had a, a great day on Sunday. And now we have on the way to – 49erville on the way to Santa Clara we've got a new wide receiver going to join the mix I'm assuming we're all expecting him to play on Monday Night Football right Josh Gordon going to play for the Seahawks on Monday I would think so just because he's going to have you know uh, basically a full week and really a long week to, to get up to speed in their defense and that's why you know there was no consideration of him playing in this game he, he was not claimed until uh, basically right after practice ended uh, on Friday so he would have just had that walkthrough but he'll have a, a long week to get up to speed in Seattle's defense and, um, you know, I, I got to give you credit because you made the good point on, on why the Seahawks added him or at least part of the motivation for adding him. And I think you're absolutely right, which is that, you know, Will Disley's absence uh, ever since he went down a couple weeks ago has left a, a void in their passing game in terms of that big target to operate in the middle of the field just because, you know, we've seen um, – we just haven't really seen that guy. And that's what that, – that's sort of how the Patriots were using Josh Gordon when he was in New England – um, and so they're going to take a look at him. I think it's important to note that both the, the comments that Pete Carroll and John Schneider have had on that, it, it's really been a um, sort of trying to temper expectations. It's a lot of you know language about we'll see and we'll take a look at him. They're, they're not expecting him to come in and save the day. They're certainly intrigued by the potential. And I think that you, you hit the nail on the head there. Uh, specifically intrigued by what he could do as a big guy in the middle of the field. And it doesn't hurt to block the 49ers from, from claiming him also off the waiver wire. Uh, I, I thought, and I'm, I'm the first guy to get on Brian Schottenheimer for his play calling because you know me, I, I look in the mirror and I see one of the great play callers of all time that's <laughs> never gotten a chance to call a play. Uh, but I, I have to tell you, I thought Brian Schottenheimer called a fabulous game on Sunday. I think that he's doing a lot more adapting to what the defense is. He came out throwing from the beginning almost to tip his cap to the run defense that was well-known, well, well-renowned coming in from the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I'm hopeful that somebody can get a message to him. They don't throw screen passes. The Seahawks don't throw screen passes. But, boy, don't you think with Boza and the Niners' defense that they better throw some screen passes to be successful, to slow down that rush on Monday night, Brady? Yeah, absolutely. And, and by the way, I, I realize you're a great play caller. You've actually never <laughs> called a bad play in your life. So uh, i got to give you that. But, yeah. no, no, certainly. And that was, you know, it seemed like that was going to be the plan this year. You know, Brian Schottenheimer said over the offseason that, you know, they wanted to, to get Chris Carson in that 50 target range, which would have been double what he had last season when it was – that was just really not a part of their offense. And, um, you know, I don't know where the numbers stand after that game on Sunday, but 
um, when you see Russell Wilson taking the pressure that uh, you know getting pressured like he was at times in that game Sunday, that is the perfect way to slow down a pass rush, and and that might be the perfect answer uh, for what the 49ers have in that game. It's you know the, the Seahawks took some negative plays in that game Sunday, and that's just not going to work against a defense uh, as good as San Francisco's. And so I'm with you. And uh, again, you're 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 the brilliant offensive mind here. And, uh, I, I think you I think you're right on that one. I dare you to pick the Seahawks over the Niners. Go ahead, pick them. Oh, no, I'm going to pick the Niners. Yeah. And, uh, Come on. Yeah. I'm daring I'm you. Be ba- I'm double dog I'm daring be- you. I'm daring you to take the Seahawks over the Niners in Santa Clara Monday night. Come on. I mean, you know, we are, we are, uh, I think so, um, I think prone to, to what we've just seen and the recency and everything, recency bias, whatever you want to call it. And it's really hard for me to, to see the Seahawks and sort of the egg that they laid in the first half of that game Sunday at home against the two and five, whatever it was, Buccaneers team, uh, and expect them to go on the road um, and beat an unbeaten 49ers team. Uh, that's, by the way, coming off you know the, a Thursday night game, so they yeah, had sort of a days. mini buy between yeah. those games, playing at home yeah. uh, with a brilliant, again, a brilliant play caller in, in uh, Kyle Shanahan. So the Seahawks, maybe the one thing that um, they have going for it, well, not the one thing, but uh, maybe one historical thing there is that they have been very good in primetime games, especially on Monday night, but uh, I just think they're up against it against a pretty good 49ers team on the road. There he is, brought to you by Fireside Home Solutions at FiresideHomeSolutions.com because football season is fireplace season. The terrific Brady Henderson, ESPN, ESPN.com, the Seahawks and the 49ers on Monday night. Seahawks are able to take care of the Buccaneers thanks to a super heroic performance by the offense in the passing game in particular. Russell Wilson and DK Metcalf and, of course, Tyler Lockett, 40-34 to 34 in overtime. Brady, thank you very much. We'll talk to you next week on Episode 65. Sounds good, Mitch. Thank you. All right, the Seahawks 7-2 and two now to start the season. Brady Henderson, ESPN, ESPN.com, and oh boy, here it comes, November the 11th. We've been waiting. It's been circled, the 49ers and the Seahawks on Monday Night Football. Will the Seahawks be a wild card contender or a division contender? I say this all the time because I believe it. Daniel's is a special restaurant. One of the things that I think makes Daniel's special is their belief in world-class hospitality. Of course, you expect excellent steaks and seafood at Daniel's, the world-class views, the great wine list. But if Daniel's doesn't make you feel special, what's the point? We live in a time when hospitality is becoming kind of a lost art in restaurants, and that's a shame. When you go to a Daniel's broiler, your needs come first. That starts with world-class hospitality. Daniel's goal is to make every guest feel like they're a part of the Daniel's family. And I'm not just talking about being polite. It's much more than that. World-class hospitality is making every guest feel warm, welcome, and important. As you know from the real world, that does not happen by accident. How you're treated is just as important to Daniels as the excellence of their food. Locally owned by the Schwartz family, South Lake Union, Leshy Marina, Bellevue Place, and now the new downtown Hyatt Regency breakfast, lunch, and dinner seven days a week. Daniels Broiler, world-class steakhouses. Unfiltered. I will take Florida in the points there. I'll take Florida in the points. I think Georgia wins by a field goal, but it wouldn't shock me that Dan Mullen, who I think is the best game day coach, it wouldn't surprise me he finds a way to win it. 
Kick from our play action. Oh, deep. He's going to go down the sideline and wide open. Lawrence Cager, touchdown. Despite the fact that I love Washington and would like to see them uh, have a great game, I don't think they're up to it. I don't think their team speed is what it once was, so I'm going to go with the Utes in this one. Utah bringing pressure. Easton throws an interception. Jalen Johnson down the sideline. All the way. Touchdown, Utah. Well, episode 64 is well underway, and here's our buddy Rick Neuheisel. It's brought to you by Fireside Home Solutions. Fireside says football season is fireplace season. We'll tell you all about Fireside Home Solutions as we go along. Rick Neuheisel is our guest of CBS Sports. We've got a biggie this weekend. But before we do anything else, Mr. Neuheisel, oh boy. Another second-half lead loss by Washington in a uh, in a loss to Utah, and now that's four losses, two and four in the conference. And uh, the Tyee members, Club Tyee, restless here in Seattle. What uh, what do you have to say about all this? Well, in some ways, uh, if, let's see if we can put a silver lining on this. In some ways, this is a good thing. This just means that the expectations have been restored <laughs> to Washington football. The last three years have been, you know, double-digit victories. And, you know, it was such a good thing. The hope was that this would be another fantastic year. And it looks as if there's just a lot of youth. Uh, so I, I just think it's one of those seasons where – you're going to chalk it up as a heck of an experience uh, for many of the players. Uh, I don't think Jacob Eason will be in that company. I think he'll make himself available for the, uh, for the NFL draft. That would be my guess. But uh, a ton of guys are going to be coming back and have learned uh, great lessons. And hopefully the Huskies can uh, get this thing figured out, win the rest of their games, go to a good bowl game, and uh, feel good about themselves, hopefully with a bowl victory. So I I know you always want to be in the conference championship race. I know you always want to be considered amongst the nation's elite when we're talking about playoff participants. But uh, this maybe will create a little hunger in the program to get back on that track uh, as soon as 2020. There are a lot of Washington Husky fans who are flailing and they are swinging at anybody who stands in their way, including Jacob Eason. And I don't really understand it. I know that Jacob threw a couple of bad passes on Saturday, one that he certainly wishes he had back. That was a pick six and changed the game. I know that his pocket presence isn't the greatest and his footwork isn't the greatest, but boy, when I watch a team that has struggled from a wide receiver perspective, from a defensive perspective, sometimes from a coaching perspective, he doesn't look like the problem to me. Jacob Eason looks to me like one of the better one of the better aspects of the 2019 Washington Huskies. Am I wrong about that, Rick? And I, th- I think there'll be some NFL guys that will agree with you, Mitch. That I think he's going to be a coveted guy. Uh, I know that, uh, you know, many Husky fans wish he were a little bit more consistent. And, you know, I'm sure that will be the, the concern at the next level as well uh, as they're picking and choosing between some other uh, highly thought of uh, quarterbacks that will be available in this next year's draft. But, but uh, overall, I just don't see the same kind of team speed that I'm used to with Chris Peterson teams. And to me, that has uh, kind of reared its its head a little bit in these uh, games that are so close. Washington uh, has to continue to play football. They got Oregon State on Friday and uh, the rest of the season, as you say, a a bowl game. But you, you, you think that Jacob Eason is a first-round draft choice 
in the NFL? And if he wasn't, I do. If if he I, wasn't a first round draft choice, if you were the kid's father, would you say, hey, if you're going to be a third or a fourth rounder, I know that you had to sit out the year. I know that you're a little older than maybe guys your your year. I'd go back. Wouldn't you send him back if he heard third or fourth round in the in the draft? I I, I would agree with that wholeheartedly. If I didn't think uh, that I was. Uh, pretty assured uh, of, of an opportunity to be in that first round, I would definitely uh, consider coming back to Washington because, number one, it's a great place to play and go to school, but also uh, continue to hone your craft because you have first-round skill set. And if it's because of your inconsistency that you now find out you're not going to be a, a part of that first round or don't think yourself to be a part of the first round, uh, you can benefit greatly by coming back and, and you know, learning uh, just a little more nuance to the position. How guaranteed can you be? W- w- these people that whisper in your ears, you got to be sure to, to listen to the right ones. How does that work, Rick, when these guys come out and the families try to figure out where we're going to get drafted? How, how assured, if he hears first round, does that definitely mean first round? How does it work? It, it, it's pretty reliable. I think what, what happens, Mitch, is you go and you look at which teams – are in the sweepstakes for quarterbacks. Certainly the Dolphins would be in that, in that company, right? Yeah. They've made themselves, uh, you know, a poster boy for tanking. We have never heard of tanking in the NFL and the Dolphins are doing it, although they, they won today. Uh, but ultimately you're, you're looking at how many teams you think are in the market for first round quarterback. And then you just do the math. Justin Herbert's going to be in that company Tua Tunga Bailoa is probably going to be in that company. I would even argue that Joe Burrow is going to be in that company. So if you start to look at these different guys around the country and see who is uh, going to be considered, then you start to go, okay, do we have enough team suitors for those uh, spots? And if so, then uh, you can be pretty certain that uh, that will be the case so now that utah beats washington and oregon overwhelms usc I, i'm imagining and i, I we're going to see this week a a college football playoff poll i'm imagining that it's very simple for those two teams each one of them is going to root for the other to not only win every game the rest of the way but win big go out and win by 30 go out by win by 40 oregon will be the biggest utah fan utah will be the biggest oregon fan so that when they collide in the pac-12 title game it feels like a huge game to those in that in that room that are making those decisions i think you've hit the nail right on the head i think they'll probably be in the seven and eight hole you know uh probably oregon uh, on top because their loss is uh, less glaring than the USC loss that uh, Utah suffered. But uh, I think they'll sit there at seven and eight ahead of uh, Florida, ahead of uh, uh, Oklahoma. And, and, and with that being said, I think, uh, you know, there'll be a heck of a case for them if they continue to play impressively and get to that championship game uh, unscathed. For the winner. Now, that being said, it also depends on the, you know, kind of the the kind of game that the Alabama LSU loser plays and the kind of game that the Penn State and Ohio State loser plays. If if they're in that game and and playing lights out and still don't win a conference championship, their one loss might be such that uh, everybody would say, you know what, they deserve another chance. They're that good. What do you think that the the poll, what do you think that the college football playoff poll uh, rankings will be this week when they're announced? My guess is LSU will be one on the virtue of their resume. I think Ohio State is the eye test number one, but I think they'll probably go with LSU 
uh, number one, because of the strength of their schedule. Uh, Ohio State will probably be two. I would say that Alabama will be three. Then it'll be interesting between Clemson and Penn State and the four and five hole. I'm going to go Clemson, even though you could make a case for Penn State. Uh, The fact that Penn State only beat Pitt by uh, a 17 to 14 margin, uh, I think, or at least a seven point game type of thing. I think that uh, puts Penn State in the five hole. Georgia will be six. Then I think it'll be uh, Oregon seven, uh, Utah eight, Oklahoma nine. And uh, I'll I'll put uh, Florida in there at ten. It, it won't be Florida, but I'm I, I can't think of who would be ten right now. Yeah, but 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 the but the clear difference between Utah and Oregon is that Oregon's one loss is to a perceived power in Auburn, and Utah's one loss is to a USC team that was just overwhelmed by Oregon this weekend. So th- there's got to be, I guess, a clear delineation between those two teams in the eyes of the voters, right? Yeah, yeah, and that's why I think Oregon will be ahead. Uh, and it may be that uh, there, you know, Oklahoma might be slightly ahead of uh, uh, Utah as well. But, uh, but they'll be a top-10 team, and with that, uh, you know, with just a modicum of chaos, chaos yeah. they, can, they can get yeah. there. Yeah, and before we get off of the whole Oregon Pac-12 Utah thing, Willie Taggart – was at Oregon for a grand total, I think, of one year. And then he ran off to Florida State. And over the weekend, I heard he was uh, dismissed after Florida State's disappointing loss to Miami. But it's unbelievable how these – I mean, you were in the coaching industry for so long. When you hear that story, what, what does it make you think? What does it make you feel about Willie Taggart? Well, there are two things. There's two stories here. For number one, Willie Taggart's a fine guy. Uh, I think he that job was uh, – handed to him a little bit prematurely. I think he needed to stay at Oregon a little longer and prove he had the chops to be a great coach. Uh, you know, his, his record uh, as a head coach is less than 500. Uh, but, you know, he had such a great reputation. Florida was his home, and, and everybody thought it was a recruiting issue at Florida State that uh, they overlooked some of the things that he had yet to prove as a head coach in terms of managing games and such. But uh, the disappointment of his early tenure was such they let him go. But the good news, the second story is, Mitch, they're letting him go with the lovely parting gift of $18 million. <laughs> so, so, so if you look at it from uh, I spent a, year, a season and a, and a little more than a half and uh, got paid what I've already earned put in my pocket, but now I'm adding another $18 million. You don't have to fly, uh, cry too big a crocodile tears for the Taggart family. Who would be a good hire at Florida State? Have any idea? Oh, that you know, there's lots of good football coaches out there. Yeah, you'd always you always start thinking about a fit, right? Who who is a Florida guy? You know, so I'd have to put a little more thought into you know who's going to feel at home uh, in in that particular portion of the country who has cachet in the Florida high schools and so forth. Uh, uh, but uh, they'll find somebody and they'll find somebody good. The guy, everybody, uh, you know, thought uh, Jim, when Jimbo Fisher was there, everybody thought Jimbo Fisher was headed to LSU. He ends up at Texas A&M. We'll, we'll wait and see, but uh, somebody will get a great job there because yeah. uh, that's, a, that's a fertile recruiting area and, 
and still uh, is capable of luring great players. The voice of Rick Neuheisel presented by Fireside Home Solutions. It is a perfect time to take a look at that old fireplace or put in a brand new fireplace. And I urge you to start with Fireside Home Solutions and FiresideHomeSolutions.com. They'll come right to your house and figure out a good solution that's best for you and your budget. And this brings us, Rick Neuheisel, to the big one this weekend. Are you going are you going to Alabama LSU? I am you... there. Uh, yes, I am. Ooh. Our pregame, halftime, postgame show will come right there oh. from the sideline oh. in venerable Bryant Denny Stadium. Yes, exactly. Wow. And, and uh, yeah. I'm looking forward to uh, hopefully a nice weather day. Keep your fingers crossed because it's not what I'd call an opulent set, but uh, a set nonetheless and be close right to the action of uh, – but promises to be a great college football game. Before I ask you for your pick of that game, is it a shame on some level, maybe I'm wrong about this, that the loser is going to, especially if the loser plays well, the loser is going to have every ability to climb right back into the Final Four, maybe not into the SEC championship game, but it's certainly into the into the Final Four conversation. Is that a shame on some level? Would it be a better game if we knew winner has the, winner has the inside track, loser is not going to get in? I think there's enough trepidation for the loser, even though they'll still be certainly under consideration. I don't think they can in any way think that they control their own destiny. I think they're going to be at the mercy of some other uh, stuff that happens along the way. So I think the fact that you are no longer in control makes the game every bit as big as if it was the ultimate elimination game. Uh, especially for Alabama. Alabama's schedule doesn't have nearly the uh, cachet that LSU's does. Mm -hmm. So for Alabama uh, at home to lose this game would be a a devastating loss. And so I I think it's an all-in type of proposition for the Crimson Tide. What kind of shock do you give LSU having said that? Having said that, you know, I watched the film from last year, and Quinnen Williams, who ends up going number three in the first round to the New York Jets, absolutely was a train wreck. He was he was he was a human wrecking ball, uh, and Joe Burrow couldn't get his feet set. and And I think the wrinkles that have been added to the LSU offense uh, with the addition of Joe Brady and Steve Ensminger as a collaboration as the offensive play callers there, I think have given them more things to do so that he's not going to be under the same kind of duress because Quinnen Williams one is at the NFL. And I don't know that they have replaced him. There's still some formidable guys up front for the Crimson Tide, but uh, I think LSU will be more reasonable uh, and able to do more things offensively. Uh, and so I think we're going to get a really good game. And the other question of course is, you know, the health of Tagovailoa. Uh, if, if two is not ready to go, Uh, You know, Mac Jones goes 18 of 22 against Arkansas, but only three of those passes, Mitch, went further than six yards down the field. There were three balls. One of them ends up being a touchdown pass that he overthrew the guy, but another one of his receivers made the catch at the back of the end zone. But uh, it's literally uh, a really pedestrian offense with Mac Jones in charge. Now he'll have had two weeks to, you know, expand upon what they trust him with if, in fact, he's the quarterback. But uh, I, I'm just hoping that both kids, uh, Tunga Bailoa and, and Burrow, are ready to go. And they, instead of the 9-6 game we got in, uh, in 2011, we got a 39-36 game. 
But I think it's going to be a shootout. I really do. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. Oh, boy. Can't wait to watch it. Uh, There's another big game, and we'll get your pick on it here in a second. And I will tell everybody that uh, we're giving you one and one last week. You picked Utah over Washington. You won. You kind of nailed the floor, the greatest greatest outdoor cocktail party. You said that Georgia was going to win close. But since Florida was only a six six point underdog, they didn't cover the spread. So we're gonna we're gonna ding you on that. We'll make you one and one. I got dinged. I understand. We'll make you I one understand. and one. I, and and uh, Jake Fromm was able to get off the Schneid. He actually threw thirty passes in that game and won. So no longer yeah. is yeah. Georgia winless when he throws thirty right. or more. Right. Are we going to be talking at this time next week when you're on sixty five with me? Are we going to be entering Minnesota? into the Final Four conversation after they do away with the Nittany Lions of Penn State early in the morning Pacific time on Saturday, Rick Neuheisel? You know, I do not want to count out uh, the Golden Gophers. I, I, P.J. Fleck wears out most of his peers. He wears them out because he's such a uh, walking billboard, right? Mm-hmm. Everything is feeling elite, row the boat, sky you must. <laughs> he goes on and on. Uh, but I've been around him. And he's authentic. He, I mean, that's who he is. He, does, he doesn't do it just for the cameras. He does it all the time. And for that reason, I, I, I admire him. And I think his team admires the, the message, and they play hard. And they've got some bona fide receivers. This Rashad Bateman is a really good player. They've got a quarterback, Tanner Mangman, that went 21-22 against Purdue. That's hard to do against air. So I'm not ruling out Minnesota to beat Penn State, especially in a game that has to be anticipated on that campus. I mean, the last time they were 8-0, it was 1941. Not sure where you were, Mitch, but I wasn't. <laughs> but, but, but the bottom line is I think this is going to be a whale of a game, and I'm pulling. I'm really pulling for Minnesota, although I do think Penn State will win the game. It sounds like you're picking Penn State. I'm picking Penn State just because of the speed of their defense. Speed of their defense, uh, I think they're more used to this kind of stage. But do not be surprised if Minnesota wins. Do not be surprised. And LSU Alabama, you taking the points with the the road team, the number one team in the country. I love I, no? I, I love I love Joe Burrow such, and I and I have no way of knowing to his health. So I'm going to go. I'm going to take LSU with the points, which what right now is what seven, yeah. six and a half, seven. seven yeah. Uh, I think, yeah, I think if you get a touchdown, you take LSU and, and uh, you count on Joe Burrow to play uh, to play a great game for you. Okay, Alabama to win, LSU to cover, or no, LSU to win. I'm gonna yeah, let let's do that. Let's let's have Alabama win by a field goal, but Burrow's sensational. Okay. There it is, ladies and gentlemen, Rick Neuheisel, brought to you by Fireside Home Solutions. Very nice enough to join us on episode 64. Any uh, any parting words for Huskies fans? Want to tell them to relax a little bit? You got anything hey, to say? Just, hey, hey in, listen, this is a wonderful ride that you're enjoying during this Chris Peterson era. I know it's a little bit uh, rocky right now, but that will make you appreciate the, the uh, brighter times even that much more. So uh, look forward to this game against Oregon State. They're playing great. That Jake Luton kid has got uh, uh, 10 touchdowns in their last three wins with no picks. I think he's only thrown one pick on the season. Then you've got uh, the Cougars at the end of the year. Hey, finish strong, dogs. Finish strong. You're not talking Northwest Championship, are you? <laughs> you know what? No, they can't because they they lost they lost to Oregon. 
<laughs> but but never underestimate uh, the idea of a good trophy. Uh, never underestimate that. <laughs> there he is, ladies and gentlemen, Rick Neuheisel, a, a really nice man to be with us each and every week on uh, on the podcast. My this buddy Rick Neuheisel on we'll the Washington loss to Utah next week at this time on episode like 65. Thank you, Rick. See you, man. Chris Peterson and the Huskies. He kind of went one and one last week, although, boy. You couldn't be much closer on the call of Florida, Georgia. He said Georgia would win a close game. They won by seven. He also picked Utah to beat Washington. He was right on that. We'll see how he does this week. Rick Neuheisel joining us each and every week, this time on episode number 64. I'm finally starting to hear from Mitch Unfiltered listeners that they're calling Jordan Flowers at the Kirkland office of Gill Mortgage, and they are already saving money like Steve Dion, our executive producer. Jordan Flowers and his Kirkland office team of Gill Mortgage waiting for your phone call to help save you money. You hesitated, and on some level, you've already lost because rates have inched up in the last month or so, but still lower than they were a year ago. So stop procrastinating and continuing to pay more each month. The Kirkland office of Guild Mortgage will do a deal that keeps you right where you are in the midst of your mortgage. No starting the 30-year period over. A refinance gets you out of your mortgage insurance, which is costly, and also can put some money in your pocket for those home improvements or remodels that you've been looking at. There's only one thing that you should not be doing, and that's just sitting there unwilling to at least take 10 minutes, a 10-minute phone call to find out your options from the Kirkland office of Guild Mortgage. 425-250-3150. The worst thing that could happen is that after 10 minutes, you find out that you can't do better than you're doing now. The flip side, and that's what I bet is going to happen, you'll find out that you can pay less each month with a refi of your home from the Kirkland office of Guild Mortgage. One more time, 425-250-3150, Jordan Flowers, and the Kirkland office of Guild Mortgage. Unfiltered. Here they are, one strike away, one out away. 3-2. for the first time in franchise history. Well, the baseball season sadly has come to an end. Not sadly for those in the nation's capital, like my father-in-law, who's a lifelong Washington baseball fan and was in tears watching his Nationals win the World Series. Steve Phillips, former GM of the Mets, uh, who, by the way, hired Carlos Beltran as their manager. Sirius and XM Stadium Sports, uh, but not... Not in front of the rock wall, right? You're not in front of the rock wall as we speak on episode 60, 64. Is that right, Steve? That is correct. That is correct. And so uh, <laughs> uh, it is, uh, it is, uh, it's good to be with you again, though, and to catch up and, and talk a little baseball as we head into, I guess people call it the offseason, but I don't think there's an offseason anymore. No offseason for, for Major League Baseball. The Nationals are world champs. It just happens to come the first year with no Bryce Harper after he signed that mega deal to leave. Where are you on that? I'm I'm intrigued by that because I sit here in Seattle and remember 2001 and who wasn't on the Mariners team in 2001. Do you think that this is a coincidence or is there something to Harper being elsewhere and the Nationals going out and winning the world championship? Well, I, here's the thing. I think Bryce Harper's a really good player. Uh, I think he, and he's not a bad guy. Uh, and so, you know, when you start saying these sorts of things, it feels like an indictment on the individual. And I don't mean it to be that way at all. 
Uh, but I think there is a difference, and I think that their clubhouse was dramatically better. And you know, so many different people talked about how you know they were they had one hurt feet, they were they were connected in a way they haven't seen before. And I will tell you that you know, having gone into Nationals camp, you know, the two previous spring trainings to, to do radio shows and, and interview players and get a feel for the team, I had the worst. Uh, chemistry and the worst clubhouse I had ever been in really? uh, prior to this year. There was no chatter. There was no conversation. There was it was just the most silent clubhouse I've ever been in. I've never experienced anything like it. Uh, and and there wasn't any banter. You know, every clubhouse you went to, guys are yelling across about the the NCAA basketball tournament. You know, they got pools going on. They're yelling about this and that. And, you know, there's groups of guys together talking and, and playing music. It was silent. No music, no chatter. Guys had their faces in their clubhouse and uh, in their in their lockers, and, and they just didn't interact with each other. And so, and this year it was different. Uh, and you know, the, the, now it's not all on on Bryce Harper, but he is that sort of big personality that you know he he's a guy that that you know he says let's make baseball fun again, but he never looks like he's having fun. You know, they would hit home runs this year and dance in the dugout. They do all this hugging and they're wearing sunglasses, doing a baby shark. I couldn't imagine that being a team that Bryce Harper was on. Yeah. And it felt like the Phillies became a really serious team this year and didn't have much fun. And so uh, I think Harper's a really good player, but I think there's there's there, he's going to have to make some adjustments or there's going to have to be players on the team that can poke the bear and sort of bring him out of his isolation and get him to have fun and engage with everybody else. I thought Andrew McCutcheon could be that guy for them until he got hurt. Maybe if he comes back this year and is healthy, he could be that guy. But I do think there is some cause and effect. You know, each of these individuals, I'm sure you're going to tell me, are different. Individual situations are different. Steve Phillips is the voice that you hear. But if I had said to you in 1998 or 1999 when the Seattle Mariners boasted Ken Griffey Jr., Alex Rodriguez, and Randy Johnson. What were they? They had to be three of the best five players on the earth at that particular time. If I had said to you, right. Steve, Steve, in 2001, after all three are gone, and, and the year after Alex Rodriguez, the year that Alex Rodriguez signs away, kind of like Bryce Harper signed away, that's when the Mariners are going to win 116 games and be the greatest regular season team in the history of Major League Baseball. You would have given me a million to one on that happening, Steve. And yet it did. And I don't I yeah. don't I don't know if all of these situations I mean, and I could probably dig up some other ones. Huge free agents, huge megastars leave team in the very first year d- does very, very well. I don't get it. Explain it to me. Yeah. Well, I think that, that, you know, the baseball is a unique sport. You know, the NBA, if you get the first overall draft pick, and, and, and it's LeBron James, you've got a pathway to maybe get to the NBA Finals. And we saw LeBron, you know, sort of LeBron and the Seven Dwarfs get to the N- NBA Championship just, you know, when he was in Cleveland. It just, you, you have that one impact player, and it, and it can carry you. That's not the way baseball is played. In the NFL, if you get the right quarterback, then you've got a shot at least to get to the playoffs every year uh, because that one player in that one position is that important. Baseball's not that way. And, and a lot of times what I've seen is when you have superstars, a lot of times what happens is everybody stands around and watches the superstar and says, okay, go be the superstar. We want to watch you. And then when he leaves, everybody else feels like, okay, now I need to take some ownership in this result. It's not only on him. It's not just his team. I'm part of this team too. And so yeah. – there is a, a sociologist, I think, that do so many case studies 
on Major League Baseball teams and the impact of superstar players and personalities and managers and, 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 and the culture uh, and what works and what doesn't. Uh, but you're 100% right that, that you know, star power alone does not win you a Major League Baseball World Series. So Scott Boris has what? All three guys, does he have Cole, he's got Rendon, he's got Steven Strasburg who opted out over the weekend uh, and has become a free agent. How much money are these guys, how much money is a guy like Garrett Cole going to get on the open market when he was as spectacular as he was at the, the final part of the season, the second half of the, the whole season, and then, the, and then the postseason, Steve? You know, think about this. But you can throw in Nick Castellanos, who's a Scott Boris client too, and Boris has a chance to get a commission. What is it? 5% of what could be a billion dollars, uh, close to a billion dollars with those four guys. In one offseason. Uh, wow. In one offseason. I mean, I, I don't want, I made the wrong choice going into broadcasting. <laughs> I have to be a manager, man. Uh, and so, uh, I, I mean, it, it, what we do know is this that, that it's going to be a, a, probably a long and protracted, dragged out offseason once again. We know that Scott Boris likes to slow play the market, uh, and uh, he is going to control sort of the timing of, of, of things. Because, look, I mean, you know, when you look at the pitching, he's got plan A when it comes to pitching, you know, whether it's Strasburg or Garrett Cole, and everybody else that's in the market is going to be at least plan B, C, or D. Uh, and so you're going to wait for the other guys until you find out whether you get either Cole or Strasburg. Then you look at Rendon. He's the most impactful position player, no question about that. Now, you know, part of it hits at third base and, you know, if you don't have a need there, then maybe you're not in on it. But he is, uh, you know, he's, he's Nolan Arenado uh, is really what he is. He's a year older, but, you know, his, his OPS plus, which is park-adjusted offensive production, he's a 143, 43% better than the average player. Arenado's a 131 in his career, 31%. But those better than Arenado uh, in his career. And so, uh, offensively. And so, you know, that was a great defender, but Rendon's there. It's going to be such a compelling marketplace. Uh, and I think the most intriguing part of it is how does Scott Boris manage negotiations for the Washington Nationals when he represents Strasburg and Rendon? They may not be able to afford both. And who does he prioritize in his discussions with the Nationals and, and try to do what's right for each of his two clients? Mm. Going to be very interesting. Are these guys over three hundred million, as as we saw with what Machado and Harper, or uh, in in Strasburg and Cole's case, are they too old to get those those you know six, yeah, eight, so, ten years? So Cole's still pretty young. He's going to pitch next year at twenty nine, right, and going into thirty. So I think he's going to get a, a seven year, eight year deal, probably at about thirty five million a year. That'll be that'll be the highest annual average value of a contract starting pitcher just beyond Zach Greinke. He's throwing a $34.5 million. I think he's going to get a seven- or eight-year deal. Uh, and, you know, so that's taking a turn of $45, $250 million right there, uh, depending upon what the, the number of years in the deal. Uh, then, uh, I think Rendon is, you know, we saw that uh, Aaron Allen got, what, eight years, $260 million. I think that Rendon's going to be seven or eight years, probably in the $30-plus million range, too. Uh, per year. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Texas Rangers are going to be hot to trot on him. We know the Nationals would like to have him back again. But I think there's going to be a lot of teams that would love to have a place. I think the Angels, if they really want to get crazy and spend money, and out there, Joe Madden there, and they're going to add some pitching. You know, they could use Derek Cole in a big way. And Cole may want to go to the West Coast. Uh, so, you know, I think that there's a lot of thought. He's from L.A. that Cole and the Angels seem to be the perfect fit 
for one another. And then you have a rotation with uh, with Cole and, and uh, Shohei Otani, uh, which they now you start to put that in a lineup. You know, that's a lineup with Mike Trout. Maybe you'll, you'll get closer to being a playoff team finally out there. Mm-hmm. Strasburg's the guy I think. You know, with the opt out, I think the Nationals. You know, I think they probably bring him back. He moved his family there. I could see San Diego jumping in as he pitched out there in San Diego in the past, but I do think the Nationals will find a way to get that deal done. I suspect, here's the thing, I wouldn't give Strasburg the money, and I love him, but he scares me to death. You know, 2019, he led the National League at innings pitch, but it's the first time he's made 30 starts since 2014. Yeah. He's got very flawed mechanics, uh, and he's so prone to injury, and we've seen that in, in the past. And he's only going to get older. He's only going to throw more. And if he if look at the last three years, if any indication of the next three, he's going to make about 27, 28 starts. Uh, and, and if you're going to pay him 30-plus million a year, you better hope you're getting more than just 27, 28 starts and him missing time. So it'll be interesting to see how the market goes. Somebody will give him the money. It wouldn't be me. All right. Last couple for Steve Phillips, who's actually uh, spending parents or, – or, or not parents weekend, but spending a weekend with his kid at college down in South Carolina. As, as someone who was a young GM, Steve – and intimately familiar with the insides of a baseball front office. What do you make of the Astros' mess, both the incident and how it was handled? And have you read Evan Drellick's athletic characterization of the Astros' culture and the claim that this is the worst-kept secret amongst the inner sanctum of the sport, that everybody knows that Houston is flawed the way they do things in Houston? Well, you know, look, what happens is, uh, that, you know, and, and I remember back in the day when, when Paul D. Podesta, who was formerly Billy Bean's assistant, the Jonah Hill character in Moneyball, you know, he went from Oakland to L.A. And I remember he once said, if you can't quantify it, it doesn't matter. Uh, and that meant makeup, character, you know, integrity, all of those things that are go into sort of making a team a team when it comes to the connection of the players in the clubhouse. Uh, and I think there's an element of that uh, that, you know, is played into with the Astros a little bit. So it's, they, they, a couple of years ago, they added Brian McCann, they added Carlos Beltran. They knew they needed some veteran leaders to go with these young players, and it helped them win a World Series. But, you know, what they tend to do is to look at players as assets. You know, they bring in guys from Wall Street who really look at, at players as widgets. Uh, and, you know, trading widgets and what's the value of manufacturing this widget and how are we going to, you know, best utilize our money. Uh, and, and it's not numbers that play the game, it's people. And I think that what ends up happening is when you lose touch with that, then you lose touch a bit with the core values of what is important to your franchise, uh, you know, from, you know, an, an integrity point of view. Uh, and so you make decisions and, and you speak in a way that, that ultimately, you know, you get, you get sort of exposed, and that's what happened uh, with this situation. You know, it's not – but they have the right to give Roberto Osuna a second chance. Uh, and I haven't been given second chances. I get it. Like, I'm all for people getting those second chances. But you have to have some understanding, uh, and you can't be blind to the impact of what other people think and that they have a right to think what they believe mm-hmm. uh, and that not everybody's going to agree with every sort of bold decision you make but you can't disrespect their feelings about it. And you have to acknowledge it and understand they have a right to those feelings. And if you dismiss it or if you shame them for it, then it's going to expose you for what you are as an organization. So I do think that there's something about the culture that needs to be addressed. They do have a lot of good people there who may have lost 
track with what is most important. And yes, you've got to go pursue the trophy, but not at any cost. And I think they need to sort of regroup on that issue. All right, final question for Steve Phillips, the former GM of the New York Mets and great baseball voice all over the place. You can see him on on stadium in front of the rock wall. You can hear him on Sirius XM. And from time to time, we get an opportunity and grateful for it here on Mitch Unfiltered. Uh, The postseason awards, am I correct to assume that it's going to be Trout and Bellinger are going to be the MVPs and either Cole or Verlander will be the Cy Young in the American League, and DeGrom's going to repeat in the National League. Or am I wrong about that? Yes. Yeah, no, I think you're 100% right. I think, I think it'll probably end up being Verlander over Cole because it's regular season voting, and I think that that's where you know, I think Verlander probably had a slight edge over Cole. I think if, if you took the postseason into it and what Cole did with an exclamation point to finish the season, he might have edged him out. I think DeGrom does get it in the National League. Yeah, I do think the – I think that, you know, you, you, Bregman is going to make a push. Uh, you know, he ended up just in the final weekend of the season passing Trout in the war. Uh, and some people are, you know, it, you're, there's sort of this sort of recency bias that, you know, it's almost like people look for a reason not to give it to Mike Trout. I think he should get the award. I think he will edge out Bregman, but I think it's going to be close. Steve Phillips. Baseball man uh, extraordinaire. Since you say there's no offseason in Major League Baseball, I'm hoping to chat with you soon. Thanks for squeezing us in as you visit your son in college. We appreciate it very, very much, Steve. Great to hear your voice. Anytime. Thanks for having me. My old friend Steve Phillips, the former GM of the New York Mets, great baseball voice on Sirius XM and Stadium on the newly minted world champion Washington Nationals. I hesitate because... Guess who's the only team left never to have made a World Series? And the Houston Astros. Might we see the beginning of somewhat of a breakup? Garrett Cole is a free agent. How much money is he going to get with Scott Boris? Question. Were you one of the several thousand people that filled out a bracket in our first ever Mitch Unfiltered March Madness? Evergreen Golf Call was the presenting sponsor and gave away three incredible all-expense-paid trips as prizes. Question. Did you pick a golfer in the Mitch Unfiltered Majors Challenge? Because Evergreen Golf Call again stepped up and presented the bucket list trip to Pebble Beach with me to play golf. When I started this little podcast journey, CEO Tyler Hay contacted a mutual friend of ours, John Benz, and said, tell Mitchie whatever our team at Evergreen can do to help get him going, we're in. Headquartered in Bellevue with offices along the West Coast, Portland, San Francisco, the Napa Valley, been growing people's money in a thorough and fiscally responsible way for oh so long, omnipresent in our community with charity involvement like the Boys and Girls Club, and now the developer of a new online program to help those of us with limited savings get that same level of expertise as their high-wealth clients have been enjoying for all these years. It's called Evervestment. You can try them out at evervestment.com. So whether you're saving for your first vacation home or the first day of retirement, Evervestment can help get you there. Evervestment from Evergreen Golf Call, a premier wealth manager in the Northwest. Unfiltered. Final seconds playing out. End of a fabulous tournament. Rebound into the hands of Hunter. And Virginia with the all-time turnaround title. 
Well, it's here. College hoop season, my very favorite time of the year. And our next guest was so gracious with his time on the old radio show and is now making his first appearance on Mitch Unfiltered, one of the very best college hoops writers that you're going to find. Mike DeCourcy of the Sporting News, the Big Ten Network. You can follow him on Twitter at TSN Mike. And what did I see? Did I see something about a new Fox bracketologist? Are you going after Lenardi, Palm, and all the rest of the thousands of those guys out those there? Those guys are quaking in their shoes, man. Uh, when they saw the announcement this afternoon from Fox Sports, uh, I think they all just, you know, they, uh, they all jumped on the treadmill because they need to get in shape. <laughs> Lenardi, I think, tweeted that he's going to quit. He, 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 this is this is the straw. This is the straw that breaks Lenardi's back. The fact that you're in the game now. <laughs> well, those guys invented it, man, and I'm, I'm I, I, they do tremendous work. I'm honored that Fox thought enough of me to bring me onto their team, and I'm getting to join some some old teammates, Tim Brando from Sporting News Radio back in the day, and. Jimmy Jackson uh, and I uh, were uh, the analysts along with the host Dave Rebson on the first Big Ten basketball and beyond. We're going to start our 10th season on that this year with Stephen Bardo in in, uh, the chair that Jimmy pioneered. But it's great to be back with him, uh, and I'll I'll probably get a chance to talk to him on the air a little bit uh, with all this bracket stuff. And uh, The Fox College Hoops team is tremendous, and and I'm really excited to to be invited to join it. Well, you are well-deserving. You've been for a long time one of the better college basketball voices and writers that we have, and uh, good things come to good people. So thanks for being back on with us, and it all starts up this week. I know Kansas and Duke on uh, on Tuesday. What do you what do you make of the tough off season for Bill Self and the Jayhawks program, Mike? Well, uh, you know, it's interesting cuz it was a tough off season in in the media, so to speak, uh, you know, in the in the court of public opinion. But in the basketball court, it's been a good off season for them. I mean, they they did lose uh a transfer or two, uh but they brought they, they did did get back some of the players that that they, you know, like uh, Udoka Azabuki for injury. Yep. Uh, they they got back uh, Dotson, the point guard, who uh, a lot of people thought might go pro. Yep. And then Silvio DeSosa, who had been uh, informed last, I think it was January or February, that he was going to be suspended for two years that se- last season, which he was suspended for, and this one as well, uh, got word sometime during the offseason that he would be allowed to play. So they got a lot of good news to go along with the bad news that they have a notice of allocations on their doorstep. Yeah. For me, Mike, the most intriguing story, at least to begin the season, is that freshman class and overall team that Penny Hardaway has compiled at his alma mater, Memphis. I was surprised to see, excuse me, that the pollsters aren't really buying it. I see that they're 14 or 15 in the early polls. I expected them to to see top 10, top 7. Are they not as good as advertised? What's your take on that? Well, you know, what's interesting about that is that if you look at it over the past five years, I guess, right around five years, that Duke and Kentucky have been 1-2 every year. Most of those years, you're talking about teams like uh, for instance, uh, in uh, 2017, 2017-2018 uh, season, when Marvin Bagley was a freshman, they had like number one uh, Bagley, number six uh, Wendell Carter. They had number, I think, the number four, the, the point guard Trevon Duvall, uh-huh. uh, number fifteen or sixteen uh, in Gary Trent. Uh, so it, that was that, that was their number one class. That's that's what people have come to expect. 
Uh, with Memphis, they've got James Wiseman, the number one player, and then Precious Achua, who's around 15 or 16. And then most of the rest of their guys are 35, 40, 45. And I talked to Brian Snow, the terrific recruiting, recruiting analyst for 24-7 sports, and, and he pointed out that, uh, that most guys that come in in the 30s, uh, are, are, if, you're, if you get six, eight points out of them as a freshman, you're really happy. Uh, you, that, that, that's a great freshman year okay. for a kid ranked at that level. Right. And that's most of their class. And, and I, I just had lunch with Brian yesterday, and he said, this is the great class to build a program, but if you're expecting dramatic immediate impact, it's maybe not what people think. How good is Weissman? Well, you know, he is very gifted physically, 7-1, runs beautifully, uh, plays above the rim. He's got all of that. Basketball skill, still developing. Uh, perimeter shot, uh, I think he shot. I, I looked it up the other day when I was writing a piece about their recruiting class. In, in uh, EYBL last year, the, the summer Nike event that they have that's really high-level basketball, uh, he, I think he shot like 4-19 or something like that from three-point range. So he'll take it, but he's got to start to make it. And, of course, that was the old three-point line. Uh, now they've moved it back a foot or so. So it's a little bit more difficult for him to make that shot. So he's got a little ways to go in terms of his development, and I expect him to have a really good freshman year. Uh, but we st- he still hasn't played for them. I mean, they played a couple of exhibitions. He didn't play. They played in the Bahamas. He didn't play. Uh, not really sure why he hasn't been on the court yet, but uh, they're running out of time to get him out there. Uh, the season starts uh, next week. Mike, bet- betting favorite to be the number one pick in the draft after one year or not? You know, I like the kid Edwards from Georgia. Uh, I- I- it depends, obviously, on what the team wants and all that. But I think if Edwards has the freshman year that I think he's capable of having, I mean, he is very gifted. A big guard, 6'5", you know, muscular already. You know, got the, you know, if he doesn't have a pro body now, he's like 15 minutes in the gym away from it. Yeah. Uh, he's, he's really good at handling the basketball. Passes it well, although not always eagerly. And great, <laughs> great long-distance shooter. So he's got the whole package. Uh, I, I, if, if this goes the way I expect it to this freshman year for both players, I would, I would probably favor Anthony Edwards from Georgia. How about the two that we've got out here, Michael? We've got, uh, we've got Isaiah Stewart. We've got Jaden McDaniels. Washington's got Quade Green coming uh, in January, the transfer from Kentucky. Do you like uh, our set of our set of freshmen out of the Pac-12? Oh, absolutely. Uh, I think it's a it's a terrific pair of freshmen, and then to, you add Quade, who I really liked. At uh, in, I talk about the you know that EYBL. I watched him play a bunch in that at the Peach Jam in in his when he was a senior to be, and I really liked him. I just I think that uh, he was probably a little bit. Uh, of a miscast player at Kentucky, and not that they used him badly, but just I mean, he's a for me, he's a four-year guy. I mean, he, he he's not big, uh, you know, he's not electrically quick. But you give him the ball, and you say, okay, this is the offense we want to run, and he knows how to run it, and he knows where the ball needs to go, and he can make a shot when people lay off him. And he's he's a he's a guy who you who could play, you know, like I said, every every possession of his team's four seasons. But not a guy like they had when he was a freshman, Shea Gilgis-Alexander, who is so overwhelmingly physically gifted. 
that he's going to be a pro in a year. So I think he's in a better spot for him now. Yeah. And there won't be pressure on him to be a pro immediately. The pressure on him is to play winning basketball, and that follows you wherever you go. Make good decisions and don't turn the ball over with the ball in your hands. That's the uh, that's what Mike Hopkins needs with all these other young people. Do you figure that Washington I, – I haven't asked you about the Pac-12. It's been a few years. You know, it's been a real downtime for both football and basketball the last several years here in the conference. There are people around the country that think, huh, with all of these incoming new faces – that this might be a year that the Pac-12 snaps or, or jumps a little bit. You you in agreement with that, or am I a year too soon on that? Well, I would say that if you look at it as like a like a stock chart, you know, it goes up and then it goes down and it goes up and then it goes down. Um, I would say that it bottomed out last year. That was the bottom. This is the start of the climb. How fast it rises? Does it jump? You know, is it is it a you know a, an Amazon like jump in one day? Uh, maybe not. Uh, but I think it will be significantly better than it was a year ago uh, with, with the players that Arizona brought in. I think they're going to be very good. Uh, the coach that UCLA brought in, Mick Cronin, who I know very well uh, from my time in Cincinnati, and, and we've stayed in touch over the years. I think they made a great hire. That's, that's the thing. What people don't always understand about why these leagues rise and fall is you rise and fall based on who's sitting, a lot of times based on who's sitting in the coach, head coach's chair. And in the last couple of years, with Hop coming into Washington, with Mick coming in to, uh, to UCLA, you're starting to see those schools start to make good hires, great hires, hires that will make the basketball league better than it's been. So if you're talking about the Pac-12 as kind of like an equity fund, uh, the best stock, everybody tells me, the best stock within that equity fund is Oregon. Or is that wrong? I mean, for this year, is that the best stock that the Pac-12 has? Yeah, I think it should be. But they and, and, and with a lot of programs, you'd say, gosh, you know, that's a lot of new pieces and a lot of new places. But one, Dane is a fantastic coach. I mean, you could just throw him into a gym blindfolded uh, and say, okay, here's your five guys, and he's going to figure it out. He's tremendous. And, and then you have a senior point guard to go on top of that to make sure everything goes right out on the floor who knows exactly what Dana's, Dana wants. You know, that guy I talked about, Quade Green being, yeah. Peyton Pritchard is that guy. Mm-hmm. I mean, has been, he, he has been his entire career. So they, they, they are really well advantaged in the positions that you need to be in order to make all these disparate new parts work. I, I wouldn't say they're unassailable that if, you know, if everything went right at Arizona or everything right, went right at Washington that they couldn't catch Oregon. But I, I would say that it's Arizona. Arizona excuse me, uh, Oregon's a pretty comfortable favorite uh, in the uh, Pac-12 to win the regular season. Mike, I read your piece on the Sporting News about the top 25, and I know that for people that get uh, annoyed with me, how oh, how do you like college basketball so much? They they typically say it's the same thing every single year. It's Bill Murray waking up to a Sonny and Cher song every single year. It's Michigan State, Duke, Kansas, and Kentucky, and lo and behold. Those were the four that I think you guys had in your top 25. Is there any team off the radar that, that we don't typically look at? Maybe I know you have Florida. You like Florida a little bit. Any other teams that are not the Michigan State, Duke, Kansas, Kentucky, Blue Bloods that we should be prepared for this year? Well, I think that one of the interesting things about this season is if you look at those top teams, and, and I wouldn't have said this maybe two weeks ago, because I think Michigan State had it all covered for the most part, two weeks ago. And then Joshua Langford, all of a sudden, his foot starts to hurt again. Yeah. 
And now they don't know who their shooting guard is. And they've got a couple of candidates, Gabe Brown, a really long and, and dynamic guy who can make a shot, but does he fit their mold of toughness? I think that's what they have to find out. Uh, they, they, they've, they've got a freshman named Rocket Watts who's a big-time recruit. Probably, again, like I talked about that top 25, top 30 level where you don't expect the automatic 15-point-a-game guy, which is what they're losing uh, at least for the time being, and Joshua Langford. Uh, so they, that, that, that spot's open. And then you look at Duke, they, they, they've got a lot going for them, but a lot not. Uh, they, do they have great wing play? Uh, uh, will, will the guys who a year ago were called upon every now and then to make a play the way Alex O'Connell and Jack White were and very rarely delivered, now that they get maybe a little bit more share of uh, the common play, or the the, the, the the play a year ago, you had so much RJ Barrett and so much Zion, and yeah. and those guys were kind of like, okay, make a shot now because we need it, and they didn't always do it. Now it's okay, just play, and maybe they play better under those circumstances, mm. but maybe they don't. So that's a question. So if you look at every single team, they all have these issues. So even though they're all up there because they have a lot of talent, I mean, a year ago Virginia was coming off of uh, having lost to the 16th seed, and I wanted to pick them number one. Because I thought they had a lot, and they, you know, they're going to be really good. And I got shouted down by my teammates, and so we didn't. Uh, we didn't have them number one, and I think we had them five, and they end up winning it. So I, I think you'll see teams that uh, that maybe aren't talked about a lot early on, and that 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 are that are a threat once we get to March. Mm. It, it, those teams that I mentioned, uh, that you mentioned, all have fantastic talent, but they all have holes. And there are teams out there that maybe don't have fantastic talent, but maybe don't have so many holes. Villanova would be one. They've got a lot of guys who can play. Uh, they, they, they have a little bit of size. They have a lot of perimeter players, a lot of forwards, uh, a good solid point guard in Colin Gillespie. Uh, so maybe that's the team. Uh, I, 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 Maryland, uh, you know, Maryland's a team that has a lot of, of going for it. They, they've got a great prospect and Jalen Smith. They've got a four-year point guard in Anthony Cowan. They've got four or five guys they can play on the wings that can all shoot it. And so they've got a lot going for it, but they don't have that tradition of wowing us in March. Mm. So maybe all of a sudden they, they do a turnaround like Virginia did last year. And then there are the individuals. Who are the best players? We talked to Weissman. Is Cassius Winston in his 47th or 48th year? At Michigan State. And how yeah. – does he keep applying to the NCAA to get more and more – he's got to be 46 years old, doesn't he, Cassius Winston? <laughs> you know, he is I – think, I think the truth is if you see Cash in like a suit like I did at Media Day a month ago or so, I mean, he looks really sharp and young and all that. But then he throws those headbands on, and he, like, ages himself into the 70s. <laughs> I mean, he, he, he looks all of a sudden like, he was, he, Slick like he's still been playing. Yes, exactly. <laughs> like he's been playing for all those years. Yeah. Um, but, but as a player, he's magnificent, a wonderful kid, great leader, uh, great at crunch time, uh, just a tremendous player. But he's going to have to, you know, he's going to have to do a lot to live up to what he's been projected as as a fresh, excuse me, as a in the preseason. And then you look at guys uh, like Marcus Howard, such a dynamic oh, yeah. scorer. Oh, yeah. uh, lost a couple of teammates, uh, uh, the Hauser brothers, who decided to go elsewhere. 
but uh, I guess that means more shots for Marcus. I mean, he may score 30 a game this year. We may we may see the uh, you know the resurgence of the early 70s with the uh, Austin Carr and Bo Lamar and Johnny Newman, and maybe he does that. Uh, and then you're you're looking at you talk about Wiseman, Jaron Cumberland at Cincinnati, Miles Powell, tremendous shooter at Seton Hall. There are a lot of people that all those guys I mentioned maybe aren't like mock draft darlings and all that, but they're terrific college basketball players. Okay, we're here's how we're going to finish with my old friend Mike DeCourcy. You can read him in the Sporting News. You can see him. I watch him on the Big Ten Network. We get the Big Ten Network. You can follow him at TSN Mike on Twitter. And now he's gone from kind of one of us to a fancy schmancy guy at Fox. So, Mr. Fancy Schmancy, let's put you on the. I wouldn't normally do this, but I'm going to put you right on the left. How many Pac-12 teams are going to be in the bracket, the 68-team bracket, and who are the Pac-12 teams in March? I'm going to record this. Of course, I'm recording. It's a podcast, for goodness sakes. And then I'm going to call you, and when you don't pick up my phone, I'm going to put it on your answer machine. I'm going to replay your voice from this episode on your answer machine. Who are they going to be, and how many of them are there going to be? I'm going to say four. Okay. And... And right now, I would say the four will be Oregon, Washington, Arizona, and I'm gonna I'm gonna go out on a limb here with Oregon State. Ooh, Oregon State, no Colorado. Colorado was the other one that was like because I I think it's gonna there's gonna be a cutoff at four, and I think that Colorado, UCLA, SC to an extent, Oregon State. Utah, maybe. I think all those teams will be in the hunt. Arizona State, too, because Bobby Hurley, he doesn't give up on a season. So all those, all those teams will be in the mix. And, hey, you know, the truth is, it all comes down to the pre-conference play. If you go out yeah, you gotta win a and you achieve in yeah. pre-conference, you got to. I, I always compare it. You know, here I go with the financial references again. That's because well, you're a fancy schman. It's because you're fancy schmancy yes, exactly. now. <laughs> exactly. Um, what I always compare it to is what you're basically doing in pre-conference play is setting the value of your currency. What is a Pac-12 win worth relative to the bracket? And that's what you do by winning non-conference games. You make your currency really valuable. And that's the, you know, that's the key. That's how, you, like, a, two years ago, the Big Ten, Nebraska went 13-5. and five, But the league had had such a poor non-conference that 13-5 and five in the Big Ten didn't get you in. Last year, Big Ten tore the cover off the ball in non-conference. And 8-12 and 12 got Ohio State in. So that's the difference I talked about that. If 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 Pac-12 teams go out and play well in yeah. November and December, yeah, then the value of the Which Pac-12 they, win goes up, right? And then all those teams that I talked about maybe fighting for that last bid might all be inside the door. Which is a big bugaboo of mine. I don't think it. All of our listeners right now are listening to you saying, "Uh oh, here goes Mitch." Mitch is going to go off again on on my favorite topic, which is my 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 least favorite thing about college basketball. You just mentioned. My least favorite thing about college basketball, it seems like in the Pac-12 has been horrible at a conference the last few years. It seems like on January 3rd, Mike, we determine how good everybody is. And then it's based on all your non-conference, and then it doesn't really matter what you do in conference because everybody's beating everybody else. It's like eating your vegetables when you're a kid. You keep eating and eating, and the, and the mound of vegetables never seems to de- decrease. There's nothing you can do in conference play. You, have, you get a reputation in non-conference, and then either it's great or it's not good, and you're stuck with it the rest of the year. Well, I don't entirely 
necessarily agree with that because I think, like I said, it's more about the value of your conference. And then what you achieve in the conference determines whether or not you get in. I mean, a, a year ago, Indiana and Ohio State go into the first day of Pac-12, excuse me, a Big, Big Ten tournament play, playing one another in, I can't remember what they were seated, 8-9, whatever it was. Uh, one team's going to make it, one team's not. It was, it was that simple. Everybody in the gym knew it. And that's exactly how it played out. One team won, Ohio State. They go into the tournament. The other team goes home to the NIT. That's how it went because right. uh, they needed to achieve. So yeah, I, don't I, I don't think that I, I don't I don't think that you get in based on what you do in November and December. Uh, you certainly need to do that to put your, to set yourself up. But if like if Arizona goes out and loses all their big non-conference games. Um, meanwhile, the rest of the league does well. Well, at that point, then they got to go like, I don't know, they, they got to lose two, three games if they want to be in, or, or maybe four, because they lost all their big non-conference games. Yeah. So that's the key. It, it's, it, it, you, you get opportunities to get big wins, yeah. uh, some in the non-conference, some in the conference, uh, and you have to get some of those or you're not going to make it. It just seems to me that the conference gets branded, at least the Pac-12 has the last few years, with uh, poor non-conference play, they get branded. A lot of teams lose games, and then it doesn't matter. You know, Washington goes out for eight or ten games in a row, or whatever it was, and they go like ten and zero in the conference. The first ten games, or eight and zero in the conference. And I got guys like uh, you know Rothstein and everybody else saying, "Yeah, the Pac-12's terrible. The Pac-12's terrible." It's, it was all decided in their non-conference that the Pac-12 is terrible. So I, I understand your point. Maybe there's there's room for both of us. Listen, congratulations. Congratulations on the new gig. Can't wait to watch you. You're fancy schmancy now, and I really appreciate you coming back on the on the old uh, podcast. Thanks so much. Happy to do it. Hard to imagine that the college basketball season is already here with all the big programs, including Washington, playing this week. That's Mike DeCourcy of the Sporting News, Fox, and the Big Ten Network. Can't wait till Friday. Baylor and Washington. I get a chance to see McDaniels and Stewart, and we see Quad A Green early. We didn't expect him until January. The NCAA approves Washington's appeal to get him playing early, so it is going to be a very exciting time, and already Washington has a very important game for reputation. You want to win some of these non-conference games, which they haven't been able to do. The conference has in any way been able to do in the last many years. Think about it for a second. This coming Monday night, November the 11th, Seahawks and 49ers kind of for NFC West supremacy. You're curled up on your family room couch ready for some Monday night football. You better have the fireplace revved up, right? Or don't you have a fireplace warming the home in an efficient manner? Or is your fireplace old, outdated, somewhat of an eyesore? Enter Fireside Home Solutions. Not only does John's team at Fireside Home Solutions make it possible for Mitch Unfiltered to have the presence of guys like Neuheisel and King and Lock and Fora and Henderson and all the rest, but they also happen to be the Northwest leader in revolutionizing your home with a fireplace. You will be amazed. Here's what I suggest. Take these guys up on their offer to come to your home free of charge. Take a look at your space or your old unit and work with you on a solution that satisfies your craving and budget. Then visit one of their six showrooms from Seattle down to Portland. Old fireplaces waste a ton of energy and Fireside Home Solutions really simplifies the process. They also do outdoor barbecue setups and garage doors. Check them out on their website. I'm telling you. FiresideHomeSolutions.com Unfiltered. Unfiltered. 
I take that back. I think uh, two of them were good. <laughs> Having listened to them with an honest <laughs> ear, I, uh, I'm at 1.8, but hey, you know. I wish Steve Phillips wasn't on a cell phone. How about that? Steve Phillips normally is on his landline. He's got a landline almost for us only. He still hangs on to it for you. He was God. God. He was. He was visiting his son at the University of South, South Carolina, oh. and I think he's got a lot of nerve. <laughs> and he needed to be on a cell phone. Yeah, no kidding. Other stuff time. Other stuff segment time. I love it. I know that you got a lot of stuff. I got a few things. Should we say something about the Sounders? Oh yeah, somebody another dad today. Do you know at, anything at, about the Sounders? No, I don't. I don't follow. But a guy said, uh, "Hey, uh, listen to the podcast. You're gonna have to talk about the Sounders now." Yeah. And I was like, "I think I, they're in the championship a, game, right?" Yeah, it's in a, a week from Match last Stretch Sunday. Johnson on the call. Yeah, how about that? <laughs> I mean, that, that's a good gig. He's the play-by-play guy. I can't believe it. Used to be Arlo White. I don't know if you ever knew Arlo. No. Arlo White. I, mean, I know who he is. I didn't know him. Yeah. Yeah, I knew him a little bit, and then yeah, now Stretch is the guy. Good yeah. for him. Your old intern. Uh, yeah. Didn't you run the board for you too, maybe? Uh, of course. Or? Yeah, yeah. Of course. He's he, a producer. Yeah. I knew him as Fruit Boy because he used to do work yeah. in produce. Yeah. Vinny used to call him Fruit Boy. We used to do a um, a year-end prediction show. Do you have any recollection of a prediction show? Yes. We would do it once a year. Would all the gras and everyone come in? Everybody would come yeah, in. Yeah, I remember that. We would do a two-hour show, and then we'd hold it for the year, and then we would produce a... a uh, a recap with sound effects yeah, of, of the yeah. year previous. And that that show, you, you, how long do you think it took to produce that oh, yeah. that portion? Forever. Of it? Like yeah. weeks and weeks and yeah, weeks. Yeah. And I remember on the on the night before it was supposed to air, he I think he lost it on the computer. And he was found in a fetal position underneath the board. I mean, he, I was oh, home. I didn't even God. know. He didn't tell me. But I guess somebody came in and saved the day and found it in the... I don't know the whatever you hard drive. They clean the hard drive. They found it something, but he thought he had lost the yeah. entire oh. prediction show <laughs> on the night before the prediction. Yeah, show. I wouldn't want to make that call to you either. I'd probably be under the console <laughs> if I would have lost it. <laughs> so congratulations to the Sounders. Good yeah. luck. Who do they play? <laughs> I, have no idea. I know they beat L.A. Right. Beat L.A. I think they did. Beat, yeah. It, they were like a big underdog. So I'm on this thread with like 11 guys. Was Nick and, Van Exel on that L.A. team? Yes, he was from Cincinnati. He was great. Lefty. Yeah. Five of them love soccer and the other five hate it. Like aren't aren't like in the Come middle. Come on. Who, they hate it. Who, who, so, are they, who are they playing? Am I supposed to know? Yes, you're supposed to know. Do you I, know? No. Oh. Find out who they're playing. It's going to be a, a great match. It's going to be a great match. It's for all the marbles. Why don't they have series? I thought that they had these two-game series. They used to. They must have changed the format of the playoffs. I know you want to ask me about the format of overtime. Yeah, I had a question for you about. It. I want to know what you yeah. think about the. Yeah, should we? Are we done now with the soccer? Soccer's done. Uh, oh, Sixty-nine thousand expected at MLS Cup final. Yeah. Wow, Sounders Between. and Toronto FC at oh, CenturyLink God. Field. Yes, Vince Carter. It's going to be tough. Yeah, oh, he's going to dunk over that French guy. I don't know if you ever saw that. What, what? He's on the French team, Vince Carter. I wonder why Seattle gets the home game. It's a match, I think. Home match. The, oh, so. the home match advantage. Right. The I home field we advantage. We should probably stop talking Probably about based it. on record, but let's move, let's move along. Congratulations to the Sounders. That's yeah, great. Good luck. I hope they win. If they win, we'll talk about it more on episode 65. And I know that soccer fans are now, like, after hearing this, are like, I can't wait to hear them talk about them on 65. That's right. They do such a great job. It was a hell of a tribute to them. What's your question? So the overtime Other rules, I know a lot of people can't stand the NFL overtime rules because it feels like a coin flip decides it. I don't necessarily agree with that because if you lose the coin flip, well, half of your team is defense. You have to be able to play defense. Do you like the overtime yeah, rule? Yeah, I do. 
I think yeah, the overtime I, rule is fine. I don't see. I didn't like it before. I think you're kind of talking in the past. No, today somebody texted me. It's a the, coin flip decides it. I'm well, like, no, the no, coin really. flip you really used to decide it because any points it was sudden death. You could win the coin flip. Yeah. Go down and kick a field goal and you win. But the it's game sudden is over. death for a touchdown in a way. All you have to do is score a touchdown, you win. Right. If the it's, team it's doesn't different. get the ball. Right. It's yeah. not as it's not as just score a field goal and win. So it's not as coin flippy as it used to be. I, I'm I'm fine with the overtime rule. Why not just play another period? Just as long as Jason Myers doesn't have to kick the extra point, <laughs> I'm fine. Why not just play another period? I like that idea. Play a fifth. A whole another quarter? Play another quarter. No, that's enough. But then you get to you have special teams and punt, key, you know, everything comes into play. No? I think it's just fine. All right. If you're if you're worth anything, send your defense out and hold them to a field All we're asking you is to hold them to a field goal. Yeah. If we hold them to a field goal, we're fine. Just don't let them score a touchdown. Well, how much is that to ask? Yeah, I don't, don't disagree Don't let the team score a touchdown, yeah. right? It's worked in the Seahawks' favor in the past against yeah. Green Bay, I think. Uh, Guess what happens on Friday? Two Husky games at the same time. Which one will you watch? Oh, interesting. I'm dying to see this basketball team. Dying to see what they look like. So the like. basketball team plays at 6.30 against against Baylor. And by the way, this guy, Quade Green, I don't know how closely you follow it. So so Washington has these two superstar freshmen, uh, Jaden McDaniels from Federal Way and Isaiah Stewart, who's originally from Rochester, who played his basketball at a prep school in, in Indiana. Okay. These two guys are two of the top five high school recruits in America coming to play for Mike Hopkins, debuting on Friday against Baylor. Baylor's number 16 in the country, oh, number 18 in the country. I didn't know they were good. Yeah, Washington okay. is not ranked, so this will be the first time out right up against a good opponent. And then on top of that, this guy, Quade Green, who was a freshman at Kentucky or sophomore at Kentucky and then transferred. He was a McDonald's All-American. It was always just assumed that he would not be able to play based on rules until second semester January, so the Pac-12 season. He'd missed the non-conference. But he could practice and everything and be with the team. They they appealed the NCAA. They applied to get him reinstated early, and they won the, they won the appeal or the application. So he gets a chance to play right out of the gate on Friday. I am so stoked. But here it is, Washington basketball at 6.30, Washington football at Oregon. Oregon State disappointing five and four Husky football at seven thirty, and Oregon State, by the way, don't look now. Oh no, they hung like sixty five oh, points God. up on Arizona. They're they're really this is like the best Oregon State team that Washington's going to face in a long time. They may lose to in Corvallis on Friday night. So you have both games happening at the same time. So glad I'm not going to Burbank this weekend. Oh, it's going to be awesome. But I think I'm going to keep an eye on the basketball game a little more. Can't wait to watch yeah. Washington and Mike Hopkins basketball. It's funny how the the best teams in the Northwest or in the Seattle area are the soccer team and the women's pro basketball team. They're the only two that are in the playoffs like every year, right? What do we have to do for for those of us who like football, baseball, basketball? What do we have to do? Well, the Seahawks do okay getting in the playoffs. Yeah. They're not in it every year? Every, well, just about every year they're in the playoffs, aren't they? Yeah, I guess you know? they're in the you playoffs. Want to tell, am I wrong about Maybe that? Maybe make a little noise. Am I not paying attention? Get to the NFC Championship again. All right. You're up. I saw Adam Schefter tweeted out that before the Seahawks claimed Josh Gordon on waivers Friday, that they, they looked into Antonio Brown. I, did, I didn't know that. That was interesting to Who me. Who did? The Seahawks did. Ooh. That's what Schefter did tweeted out. Did not know that. Yeah. So not like, seen that. Russell Wilson was pushing the Seahawks pretty hard to sign Brown before they got Gordon, according to sources. Wow. How about that? Wow. Well, we talked about Antonio Brown signing him back when the Raiders released. Remember that Saturday when the Raiders finally had had enough? And they oh, when he him? runs through his yard and his flip flops? That's right. Yeah. And, he, and, he, and I think when he ran through his yard and his flip flops, 
the contract with the Patriots was there in the backyard. I mean, he was already <laughs> he was already on his way to New England. I don't think there was any chance. Yeah. I remember bringing that up on Twitter. This is, bef- by the way, I want to make perfectly clear. This was before we heard about the domestic violence issue. Right, yeah, before all of us. That's before why we were all, all excited, stuff. yeah. No, no, not all of us, because when he got cut by Oakland, the feet problem, the helmet problem, the not showing up at practice, this is yeah. before the domestic violence thing came out. He was cut, and I wrote would look very good in the Seattle Seahawks uniform. And that Saturday, and people did not like that. They didn't want that. I don't, we don't want, uh, almost as if they knew about the domestic violence yeah. thing before it came out. So then we found out that he kind of had a deal with the Patriots like almost before the release of Oakland. And he went to the Patriots and the domestic violence. So now we're talking about Russell Wilson still wanting Antonio Brown despite the, the real checkered situation. That part is interesting because that does not seem like a Russell Wilson kind of guy, does it? Maybe Schefter's report is wrong. I mean, maybe. And it also says the Seahawks' acquisition of Gordon doesn't mean they can't revisit signing Brown if and when the investigation right. is over. Right. So right. maybe they will at some point. All right. Uh, national world champions. Nationals are world yeah, champions. How about that? That was fun. Two claps for uh, the uh, Washington Nationals. Man, yeah, about that? Watching you, and they answered your so question. Fun. They answered your question that you asked on two different podcasts. Will they go to the White House? Well, they're, I, go, they're going to the White House this week. But one guy's not. I can't remember his name. One guy came out and said, I, I can't do it. I'm sorry. I, he has like a brother-in-law who has a disability, and he just can't. He can't okay. do it. So okay. at least one guy is passing. Okay, so. one guy's passing, but most of them are going to, the, okay. going to the White House. The president went to the game and got booed all over the place. He went to one of the World Series games. How about this? And I know that people have, I, just, I, I'm having trouble kind of processing this. They played seven games. Two great baseball teams, one especially great baseball team in Houston. One very good hot team. Let's call Wa- let's call Washington a good team that got really hot. Sure. Let's call Houston a great team. Yes. They played seven games, and the crazy. home team didn't win one game. It's crazy. I know. Has not that, one game. Has that ever happened? No, it's never. That's ha- the first time. It's not only never happened in a seven-game series. It's never happened in basketball, baseball, or hockey. Never happened in any sport that has these seven-game series. Never happened. Some home field advantage, huh? That's amazing. A great team in Houston hosted four games. The Nationals, the good team that was hot, hosted three. The great team with Garrett Cole and and Justin Verlander and and all these great hitters, the Altuves and the Springers and and all these guys, they hosted (laughs) four games. All they had to do was win one out of four games. It's amazing. Mattress Mac guy. Oh, Mac. Was, that was my next question. Is there an update on Ma- Mattress oh, yeah. Mac? You didn't see the, you didn't see the video. The guy was taken of him while well, he was sitting in the stands on the final out. No. Oh. But I know he was hedging like crazy. But do we still think he took a took a he bath did on fine. this? He did fine. He did fine. He's figured it out. Well, because the the fifteen or twenty million dollars in mattress orders now are all his. He lost on all the bets. He lost on hedging. On hedging, on but, hedging, but yeah. all of his $20 million worth of mattress sales that he made, he's, he's keeping all that money. He's doing just fine for himself. Not to mention. But he's disappointed. You could see the disappointment in the guy's face. He's a true fan. Oh, <laughs> it's very sad. He was like staring into the yeah. into the field as, as the Nationals were celebrating. He was like, Phew. he was just. Yeah, he was just faded. How much money would you give Garrett Cole, who's a free agent, Scott Boris free agent now, who, by the way, how Garrett Cole after the game. Right after the game, moments after the game, asked for the asked by the media if we can get a comment from you. The game wasn't over five minutes, and he says, "I'm not an employee of the Houston Astros anymore." Is that right? Yes, I didn't see that. <laughs> Free agent to be. He didn't even wait till the next day. He's like, 
okay, I'll talk to you, but I'm not talking to you as an employee of the Astros. This is five minutes after the game. Yeah, yeah. I'm not going to talk to you as an employee of the Astros. I'll talk to you as a guy, uh, 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 just myself. And he wasn't joking around a little I bit? I think he was kind of, but it wasn't. It was. It was okay. A lot of people didn't take it as a joke. He's going to get like 300, I mean, yeah. 300 million, something like that. Yeah. All right. Yeah. yeah. Glenn Big Baby Davis. You remember him? Big Do Baby? I remember him. Yeah. yeah. I mean, he didn't have like a great NBA career. No. But, but he's come out and says, that, well, I mean, not anyone cares what he says, but he might know a little something that Zion Williamson needs to lose weight ASAP. Oh, we're back he, to that again. Yeah. Well, I mean, here's a guy who was that weight and lived that weight. And he told TMZ Sports that being the same size as him, he thinks cost him his NBA career carrying around all that extra weight. Wait a second. Is Big Baby claiming that he was the same size as Zion Williamson? <laughs> well, but they say Zion's, what, 285? Whatever it is, I, I can remember. I have visuals of both in my mind, very fresh visuals of both. Big Baby was, was more than 285. All right. Okay, Big Baby was in the threes easy. You think so? Well, I think Big Baby yeah. was in the mid threes. He was pretty tall, too. Oh, I see. I, maybe, maybe that's it. That's it. Yeah. I don't, anyway, he's just. I thought that was interesting coming from a guy who was heavy. That he needs to get some weight off soon. What do you think of Danica Patrick and Aaron Rodgers as a couple? Hmm. They've been a couple for a long time. You see shots of them on Halloween dressed up. And do you like Aaron Rodgers, or does he bother you a little bit? I don't know. Do you why. like Danica Patrick? Let's start with her. Just her. Just her personality. Not not necessarily her looks or yeah, yeah. her physical appeal. Just her personality. You like Danica Patrick? She was the go daddy girl. She sure. was the first in a, a male dominated sport of auto oh, racing yeah. and did did somewhat well. I don't know if she ever won anything. I don't think she ever did even win. And it's like Aaron Rodgers and Danica Patrick. And I don't know what to think of that couple. Whether I like that couple or not. I saw a video of her in a disguise as an Uber driver. Oh really? And she was driving like a maniac because she's a professional driver. <laughs> And it was awesome. And then the person happened to know who Danica Patrick was when she took the disguise off. And so I, 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 I liked her after I saw that. I thought that was a really cool thing to do. So I guess I like her. For some reason, Aaron Rodgers kind of annoys me. I think she's kind of cute. I like Oh, her. definitely cute. Yeah, yeah I just yeah. I, I like the whole package. I like I like the success. I like she doesn't take herself too seriously. I like the fact that she did the go daddy. I like every I, I like the package, but I, I think that Aaron Rodgers is the opposite. I'm not a big Aaron Rodgers from a personality standpoint fan. I like him as a football player. I love him as a football player. That's great. Mm. There's something about he seems to take himself really seriously. He doesn't he doesn't smile enough. Am I wrong about that? He he really is a serious guy. It may go back to the whole Brett Favre friction. Maybe, yeah. When Favre was leaving and he felt disrespected. I know, I mean, you know the story about the size, the, the whole size thing? Oh, give me this. No. Oh, Aaron Rodgers is very, very sensitive about people saying that he's not tall. Very, very sensitive. Is he tall? No. I thought he but, was like 6'1 or something. But like somebody comes up to him and says, "Hey, you're you're not as tall as you oh. look on TV." He like will walk away. <laughs> Is from that him. right? Oh yeah, he gets totally pissed off. It was on sixty minutes and everything, the whole thing. He's very sensitive. Don't ever tell him he's not tall. Uh, I know, but now I have to if I see him. <laughs> How can I not? Now I know you're not a wrestling fan. You ever heard of yeah. Kurt Angle? Kurt Angle. He yeah. was in WWE for yeah, a long I know time. The name. I know yeah, the yeah. Name. Uh, he added an eighth member to his family. I thought this was a really cool story. I want to give him a little credit. He adopted a 15-year-old boy oh, the from, story. from Bulgaria. Yeah. You know, I like to throw the feel- – I'm a very sensitive person, so I like to throw these feel-good stories in. No, nah, I don't know. I just gave You're you the record. You're so not there. a sensitive person. That's the problem with you. Well, but this is cool. The kid's name's Joseph, and Kurt says his wife was adamant about bringing an older child into the family after learning a pretty heartbreaking fact about adoption. So they decided they wanted to adopt a child, and she did some research and found out that kids over 10 don't get adopted, period. They just don't. 
people want a baby or a younger infant. Yeah. So she decided to not get a younger one, but an older one to give him a chance. And Angle said the adoption process took like 18 months and they just brought Joseph home to the U.S. a few days ago. So I thought that was a cool story. It's a very nice story. And I have something for, I'm going to give you an assignment, although you don't, you're not a, you're probably not a subscriber. I am. I'll, I'll find a way to print it out and get it to you or send it to you. How does that work when you're a subscriber of a service? Can I download something and send it to you? Or will you not be able to open it? You can't send a link. You're going to have to like screenshot it or something. Okay. Yeah. I, there is a story that was written in The Athletic, which I'm a, I love The Athletic. All my friends tell me that I shouldn't it's be a subscriber. Fanta- yeah. It's fantastic. There was a story written about the general manager of the Indianapolis Colts and his wife. And that's all I'm going to say. Okay. Athletic article. I th- I'm, I'm pretty sure it was The Athletic. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe it wasn't even The Athletic. But it was a story, a long story about the general manager of the Colts and his wife and their children. And I'm not, I don't want to mess it up. It's in the same vein as what you're talking about. Okay. You will literally, I I literally sat there reading this thing with tears (laughs) falling down my eyes. I I cry at anything, but (laughs) tears were totally coming down my cheeks, reading the story about them and their, then their kids. Um, Steph Curry. Oh, forgot about that. Three months, broken hand. Golden State was stinky with him. Now they're without him and Clay Clay. Should I should I bring up the old San Antonio Spurs? Do you know the old San Antonio Spurs story? No. And why I never really liked Greg Popovich, and now I don't like him for another reason, but why I never really kind of approved of Greg Popovich for I, the longest time. Do you know the story? I don't know the story, but before you get into it, somebody once called him Greg Popazit, and it made me laugh so hard because <laughs> he's got the pock marks on his face. And every time I hear his name, I think of that. Oh, Sorry, I had to bring that again, up. Go I'm on. not even going to go. <laughs> no, please, I can't even me. follow that. Come on, tell me, tell me. Greg right, Popazit. Well, I don't know what year. I'm not good with years, but there yeah. was a year. The Spurs were pretty good, pretty good, pretty good. I think Brian Hill was the coach. They had a guy by the name of David Robinson, the Admiral, who was the star. During and they those were good, years. good, 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 yeah. good. Sure. And he was like the, the the player person, like the general manager. Popovich was the general manager before he was the coach. Interesting. Okay. Or the president or something. Okay, Spurs, good, 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 good. 80s, whatever. 90s, whatever it was. 80s. And one year, at the Admiral David Robinson, they were good. They were always good with him because he was a great player. He got hurt. And he was out for the year. And they essentially tanked the season. And they knew that the upcoming draft, there was a guy named Tim Duncan who was going to be the number one pick. So a normally good team essentially tanked the year when David Robinson got hurt, right? And then Greg Popovich, right after that season where they tanked it on purpose, fired the coach, knowing that they were going to get Tim Duncan number one in the pick in the draft, yeah. and put himself as the coach. Oh. That's when Tim. That's when Greg Pop. Now he's turned out to be a legendary NBA coach. Yeah. I think nothing wrong. Wait from although I don't like the whole antics on the style, t- treating people like shit, the whole thing, but. Um, People don't remember. That's the way he became the coach. He put himself in the coach when David Robinson was coming back. Yeah. And they were about to get Tim Duncan in the draft. Well, I always that's when he named himself the coach. I always wondered how they landed that pick. Because they had David Robinson too. Like, how did they get both these guys? Right. That's how they they were always telling you the story. But they were always pretty good, like you said. Always in the playoffs. David Robinson was like the MVP. Think about Brian Hill. You you tell me to tank. David Robinson loses. (laughs) We're going to get Tim Duncan next year. And you fire me and put yourself in as the coach. Of course you do. Right. Of course you do. And that's what he did. They drafted Tim Duncan. The rest, as they say, is history. So now I bring that. Why do I bring that up? Steph, Clay Thompson already out for the year. You've already lost Kevin Durant. Right. You weren't any good with Steph Curry on the floor the first three or four or five games. Now he's out for three months. So why not? Now, I know you have a new stadium, a brand new stadium, and you don't want half... Why not just tell Steph, you know what? Take a year off. Clay, Clay, take a year off. Let's 
Let's go get the number one pick next year. <laughs> I will reconvene. And then everybody's going to come back. Yeah, and we'll do what the and, and, and we'll do what uh, the San Antonio Spurs did. I'm just bringing it up. Yeah, I was. It's funny how that team's been gutted, right? They were so they looked unstoppable for like what a three year run there, yeah, and they're just more gutted. than three years. Well, yeah, I mean, but with with Durant, yeah, Durant's gone. Clay's out. I mean, Steph. Like, man, I saw that. I was like, people are going in there like like terrible teams. Like the Phoenix Suns are going in there and beating them by thirty. <laughs> Like the, for all, the world's worst teams are going in there and beating them by third. Getting them back for all those beatings. Yeah. Yeah. I got a quick rest in peace to a guy named John Witherspoon. The only reason I bring him up is because... Oh, yeah, I know John Witherspoon is. I befriended his son. Oh, really? Yeah, I mean, we're not friends. Do you want to do the are you gonna do the Tanya Harding story on a, on a regular episode, or are you keeping that to the patron show? Let's discuss that after John Witherspoon real quick, because I got some <laughs> feedback on that. I don't know if that's the right move or not to, to give it to the masses. But John Witherspoon, if you don't remember, he was the dad in Friday. Great role. Hilarious in the movie Friday. He was on WKRP. He was in uh, Richard Pryor's show, Incredible Hulk. You name it. Just a laundry list. He was a a comic, and he was in movies. And his son, JD, is a streamer. And so I was going to hire his son to come work for us, but it didn't work out. So I got to – anyway. So I saw that John Witherspoon passed. I just wanted to say rest in peace. Hilarious. Loved him in the movie Friday. So there you go. Rest, rest in, in peace. peace, John Witherspoon. Right. And I was in Burbank, and I drove by the Laugh Factory, and they had his picture up. And rest in peace. Hope you're making God laugh. And 70s? All that stuff. 77. 77. Yeah. Yeah. Willie Taggart, you know the name? Willie Taggart. Sounds yeah. so familiar. So Willie Taggart was hired by, he was like an up-and-coming coach in, in Florida. I think it's Central Florida. I can't remember which, which of those smaller Florida Division I schools. Was really, really good. And Oregon hired him, brought him out here, made a big splash, he, he made, you know, he got some recruiting, like he was, but he was only here for one year and he left after the first year at Oregon to go to Florida State because Florida State had an opening and they hired him away from Eugene, hired him away from Phil Knight after just one year at Oregon. He okay. left. Fired. He lasted two years at Florida that State. Right? <laughs> And Phil Knight blocked his number. Lost (laughs) lost like 24 to 7 or something to Miami. Was fired in the middle of the season. Yeah, what happened to Florida State? What happened to that program? I mean, when I'm in high school. That was the end. When Bobby Bowden left. 1991, I had to go to Saturday school. Because I'm, you know, from a long line of dipshits. (laughs) I'm in Saturday school. Like, the and during football season. Saturday school. Saturday had the game. Number one against number two. Miami against Florida State. It was one of those ones that came down to a field goal that Florida State missed. But Florida State was always awesome when I was in high school. So and was college Miami. And Miami, too. Yeah, it's yeah. not so much anymore. Shame. That's it. We're done? We're done. So I need people to follow me on Twitter, if you don't mind, because I think uh, I'm this close to 3,000, and it would be big for me. I don't have much going on in my life. Yeah. This would be really big if I got to 3,000. Well, well, we'll get you to 3,000, but what, what, how are you feeling about the whole Tanya Harding story <laughs> that you did on, on 63P? Ah, one guy was like, oh, I didn't think that I got was a lot, But I saw a couple that said that was a great story, a too bad for Hotshot or whatever. I got some emails or something. All right. there was, it was pretty controversial. Yeah, it was. That's why I'm not What sure do you think the controversial part of it was? Cheat on your girlfriend. Maybe. But that whole thing. She's married with kids now. She's got a nice life. It's no big deal. I mean, uh, you had a shot for, for the masses that aren't patrons. You had a shot with you had an opening with uh, Tanya. Felt Hardy. like I had a shot with Tanya Harding at one point. One night. You had a one night shot and her, you froze up. You, 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 her, <laughs> well, I, I, her and I hung out for like three days. I was forced to kind of drive her to her appearances because yeah, yeah. she co-hosted the show every morning with us. So I got to know her that way. Okay. So on the last night we were and I took her down to meet my mom, by the way. I bring Tanya home. So you're really going to do the story again after you got criticized for doing the story the first time. It it felt flat. 
That's what I hear. It should have been on the with the cutting room floor or something. Yeah, that's what I saw. Yeah, yeah. cutting room floor. So, so you had a shot. She invited you back to the hotel room, and you said no. She invited me to her hotel room, and I late at night after spending two or two or three nights with her. Yes, you, you had a shot, and I was rekindling. And you think that this was specifically? It felt like it was an invite to come up. Yes, it it felt like more than just let's hang out. I mean, I don't know. Why do you invite anyone to your hotel room? Yeah. To sit around and But it's hard South for me Park? looking at you right now to, to even vision that she would want you to come up to the room. <laughs> <laughs> it might be the other way around, big boy. I think I might have passed her on the, uh, on the, scale, on the look scale, all right? Well, uh, by now you have. Okay, thank you. Well, I, I wouldn't say that you passed her. Right? <laughs> it's okay, like, I'm elevator stagnant. Going up. Your elevator was not going up. Her elevator is coming down. Right. <laughs> and by the way, this was 2001. So this was like nine years after 92 when she was like an Olympic hopeful yeah. i mean yeah. she was you know yeah. still looked pretty good but yeah. i was trying to like be good not you know with my i was trying to make it work with my girlfriend at the time i was like right. nah, i don't want to do that well you did the right thing but you regret it i, and be, that, that, I think that's what fell flat on episode 63 <laughs> is that people are probably listening saying well you did the right thing and he's well, i did the right thing yeah you did the right thing i was a single guy i wasn't married well, yeah cared. but you had a girlfriend and you did the right thing you probably did the right thing. I know, but if you a, just wondered what what it would have been, uh, what would have happened? It would have been a way better story though, had I had gone up, right? It would have been the best. <laughs> would we story. have gotten the story? Oh yeah, I would be happy to tell you these days. <laughs> Do you remember Jerry Kramer, the Hall of Fame guard for the for the Green Bay Packers, who 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 cleared the way for Bart Starr sneak in the 1968 NFL Championship? He was a five time All Pro guard, number 64, and he's and if he's not well known for his great play, which he is, he's a hall of one of the great offensive linemen of that era. Mm -hmm. He's known for that famous. Can you picture a Sports Illustrated cover where Vince Lombardi's being carried off the field? Mm -hmm. It's like the it may be the most iconic uh, Sports Illustrated football cover of all time. He's the guy covered. He's carrying his coach off. Gotcha. Okay. He's on. He's on 64. Jerry. There's no debate. It's not sexy, it's not great, yeah. it's not juicy, but there's no debate. The greatest number 64 in the history of sports is the uh, is the former guard for Bart Starr on those Packers teams, Jerry Crane. Congratulations, right. Jeremy. So, Wait, Jerry? Jerry. Oh, I said Jeremy. All right, Hello. congratulations, Jerry. Hello, Jerry. <laughs> Episode Jerry Kramer. Uh, don't forget, Episode 64P on Thursday with both the tail of the tape and Mr. Postseason, but you've got to be a patron. You're Sorry. just a shill, aren't you? Just a shill for Mitch Levy. Follow me at Scott Soden. <laughs> <laughs> Episode 64 is in the books.